you kicking your fancy yells. You can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. Today we have an episode all about cavalry armies and all cavalry armies. Not a single infantry model in sight in these armies, cavalry armies. So I've got on a local cavalry expert, Andrew. Hello, glad to be back. Glad to have you on, Andrew. And also our regular, you all know her, Kylie. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. It definitely is good to be back. Now, this episode, I thought, let's go into something specific, because we've talked about cavalry in a lot of our episodes before, but we've never really gone into a huge amount of detail about what to do if you're the kind of person that says, no more infantry, I just want to go cavalry, and I also still want to be at least competitive, at least have fun, or perhaps in Andrew's case, dominate the scene and make everyone cry whenever he plays him. Is that right, Andrew? Yes, yeah. I, I try to provide tissues when necessary it's really important yeah do you, do you go around like have the consolation prizes so after you beat someone you'd like say here's some snacks you can have and or, or you talk about their army you beat them really quickly and you just go oh, how'd you paint that that's a really good paint job on that model uh, and try and distract them massage is usually the way to go oh that's a good idea yeah i like that yep so hopefully you too listener can be like andrew and just just uh take your scene by storm with all cav army and your commitment to it so andrew can you just tell me a little bit about your passion for cavalry armies yeah sure so i started playing cavalry armies i think back in 2016 i won our national masters tournament with the cavalry army that was rivendell at the time um, and ever since then, I just kind of realized the agency that playing or cavalry list has and the power that it holds. And so I've just kind of never looked back. So I'm currently uh, on a grand adventure to try and win an event with every possible cavalry army that you could think of out there. Ooh, what are you up to? Which ones have you done? So I've done all the conventional ones. So, you know, your Gondor, your, your Rivendell, your other stuff like that. Um, I'm starting to get into the more esoteric ones. I'm currently running an all-mounted Angmar army which is quite fun, which we'll, I'm sure we'll touch uh, on later. I'm looking forward to oh, picking no. your brain about that. I've, I've gone through most of them, so I'm starting to get the silly ones. At some point, we're going to see uh, Hobbits on Ponies and Gandalf on Cart. So that'll be a good one. Oh, look, once you do that one, I my hat's off to you, because that will be an effort and a half. But hopefully you get some ideas around that. Wow, that, that, that sounds like a challenge. But yeah, get through the other ones first, Andrew, of course. And Kylie, you've done some more cavalry armies as well, haven't you? Yes, but I think for once, for once in my life on this cast, I think that I am not the person with the most experience and all the answers, which I, is kind of refreshing. I agree. Now I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've done it a few times, but I've done the uh, the Rivendell one a bit, so that was that's my experience. I've also played through things like uh, Easterlings and Khand and Harrod as cavalry armies, but not a huge amount of pure cav mm. design i usually go mix arms so i'm really interested to hear uh, what andrew's got to say our, our expert on the all cav armies here so mm. uh, andrew can you just go through can you start us off with what's the characteristics or the main attributes of a, a cav army how does it play what does it do on the field and what do you expect generally speaking you're going to have several characteristics for a cavalry army the first one is your mobility you're usually going to be faster than almost any other army that you're going to face you're usually going to have a lower model count as well because of that, because usually your your model is going to be more expensive than your opponent's. Depending on the list, some of them are going to have really powerful shooting as well. And generally speaking, I tend to find you'll have slightly higher than average heroes, depending on your playstyle, though. So generally what you'll find is that you'll also tend to be a little bit, bit more bang or bust. When you commit to a charge and you're in combat, uh, it's either going to go well for you 
or it's going to go poorly, and that'll happen fairly quickly. So I will say that Kavriyamis are fairly punishing, um, and if you do make mistakes, um, you can get hurt pretty badly by them. But I think in the hands of a good player, they're incredibly powerful. They're very punishing for both people, I think, because you either, if you cop a charge from a cavalry army, you can can wipe out half your force before you've even had a chance to react. But also, if you if you manage to get hold of them and and take them all down with a horde of infantry as well, they can disappear and almost be no threat whatsoever. So they are very uh very swingy in that way, and it takes a good play to get the most out of them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of why I've enjoyed playing them so much is you need to be very conscious about what you're doing, and if you make mistakes, you, you're going to know it. Mm, that, that's that's very true, very true. Just before we go into to our tactics of it, I know that that I, I'm on the of the opinion that probably Rohan is our top cavalry army at the moment. It's got the most options. It's one that's very well much designed to play as cav. Ignoring recent release legendary legions with uh, certain wraiths, what do you think of the other armies that would be similar to tier with that for cavalry armies, Andrew? So, like you said, um, Rohan's probably the top. You've got the most diversity as well in terms of different styles that you potentially want to play with all those legions as well. Rivendell's also very effective. Um, it's been effective for a while, especially because Elrond's priority is really powerful for how cavalry interacts. And then Rivendell Knights themselves is Swiss Army Knights so that make them really effective. So I'd say those are probably the two most effective. Uh, Harad, I think, is also really powerful. It's probably got the most killing power out of any of the cavalry lists. So I'll, I'll, if you want to dip your toe into the all cavalry kind of kind of pool, as it were, I'd recommend looking at one of those to start off with and get used to the kind of play style that, that they offer. What about Gondor? I, I, that's another one I forgot that I've played a, a bit of all cav Gondor. How do you rate them? Are they close to that level or, or a little bit off? I'll put them below the other three, purely because your, your primary cavalry model is a lower fight value than you can get in those other, other factions. And as we'll talk about, the fight value is quite important. For, for your troops. You can buff them up, but it is a bit more situational than your, your other mm. other setups, and it means you need to be a bit more bunched up than you might otherwise want to be. Mm. Now, Kylie, what's the army we've missed out on all these these good cavalry armies? Well, I'm I'm a bit bit partial to the to the old Khand Khandish uh all cav armies, although admittedly the Khandish all cav armies do incorporate chariots, which are a, a bit of a you know, kind of slight on the old cavalry army. Uh, just not quite cavalry, but, you know, close enough that we give them a pass. So, you know, I'm I'm very uh, very much looking forward to, like, kind of discussing uh, what you guys think of all cav, because I'm, I'm a bit like Jeremy. Uh, a lot of the cav um, armies that I run aren't really all cav. They're kind of hybrid forces, so 50-50, you know, hammer and anvil kind of tactics and stuff. And the few times that I have played all cav, it's been kind of... They've got certain quirks that change kind of the fundamental ways uh, that they play. So, you know, it's, it's been a long time since I picked up an old cavalry army. I think probably probably going on a few years now. So, yeah, I'd be interested to see what you guys think of, especially in the neurals, how they operate and, um, you know, how powerful you really got, you guys really think they are. Mm, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a good discussion, I think. I feel it already. It's going to be a good one. So we'll go straight into deployment, the very start of the game. Now, when I, I deploy in general, the first thing I'm doing is looking at the board, looking at where some opportunistic places will be to fight, 
to, uh, to fight combats, to be doing some shooting lanes, to capture objectives. I look at the terrain. I discuss what the terrain effects is with my opponent. I really don't care what we decide. So usually I go home field advantage. So if I'm playing interstate, they can tell me what the terrain does. If we're playing locally, I'll say what we usually use it as. And everyone's got a little bit of a different quirk to how they use the terrain. But I identify that and then I go for a deployment. Andrew, how do you approach that deployment stage? So there are several things you want to be looking out for when you're playing a cavalry army. First of all, if there are rivers on the board, if those are shallow water, that's fantastic for cavalry. That gives you a massive advantage because, A, you can walk over them and they can't. And then also, if you're fighting that river and you knock your opponents over, they're going to have to start taking swim tests and potentially drowning. Also, forest is a really big deal. If you haven't been playing Lothorian, that's really good for you. Otherwise, you need to look out for your opponent potentially attempting to castle in a forest, depending on the mission, and try and negate all your cab bonuses. Similar with you've got very heavily ruined kind of positions as well that they want to try and do a similar thing. And then also just try and think about as you're deploying where you can move on on the board. So if you're in a certain position, what are your avenues to get out of that position? If you want to re- then get, travel to a different component of the board, how many paths do you have to get through to get if you want to get to a certain area? You tend to do a lot of thinking right at the start. And then in terms of actually deploying all your models, generally speaking, you'll find that your first couple of warbands, you're going to start at least six inches away from the center of the board, purely because you never want to be in the losing end of a turn one roll-off and getting charged turn one. You tend to start almost on the back foot because you may be giving up objectives on, on the center line. That's a fair point as well. Now, in general, do you do you go for a more spread out approach or do you try and concentrate into one area? I know I lean towards the spread out as much as possible because I figure if I spread out, it opens up a potential uh, mistaken deployment for my opponent that I can take advantage of early on and I can recover if I've set up badly. What do you do there, Andrew? It depends a bit on how you've uh, developed your army list and how many heroes you have. Because if you've got loads of those heroes, it's great to do the spread at the start and have just like one or two with a few cavalry each. And then if you want to, depending on how you've deployed to set up, set the majority of your force in a single spot that your opponent then can't counter. It's usually generally a good idea to try and start centrally for the most part, because then that's going to give you the most flexibility in terms of where you want to go and how you're going to adapt as soon as the game starts. I think an important thing is not to lock yourself into a particular decision from the start because you have that flexibility and the maneuverability to go to where you want. It's a kind of fluid battle plan sometimes where you might not even have an idea at the start or you might have multiple ideas and you can adapt and and if the opponent runs at you, you've got a plan. If the opponent stays back and hides, you've got a plan. If they try to jump into a woods, you've got a plan. And you've got the flexibility to go and have multiple plans where some armies that I've been playing with recently, you don't have that option. You have a plan and once it gets into it starts happening you really don't have a lot to change because the army itself is so slow or it needs to death ball up and attack all together or some other way as well so cavalry you've got that flexibility on the deployment as well i think one thing that would be good to mention is not making your warbands too huge for instance uh, a, a valor hero leading you know 14 15 cavalry models is going to be very hard to deploy on the table simply because of one, how big the base size is for a cavalry model, and two, you've only got that six inches to deploy in, so making sure that you are able to reasonably fit your warbands around your heroes in in a way that's not going to hamstring you going forward. And Because one of the things that uh, always surprises me sometimes when people run really big warbands of cavalry is they get themselves choked on their own models because they've got nowhere to move in like, that, or, or move out of a certain situation because only a certain few models can get through a gap at any one given time. So being able to 
you know, have more warbands and be able to spread out further is very valuable to cavalry armies because it gives you more options to maneuver uh, in the very early game. Mm, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. I would suggest you max out, you know, obviously the exceptions, but about six cavalry models per warband as, as a max just so you've got the flexibility of being able to deploy them. Uh, another thing that's nice to do when you're deploying your cavalry is to, if you're feeling nervous about certain things, um, to put your heroes behind the rank of cavalry and um, leave spaces in between each little warband or even within the warband that's got enough space for cavalry base then to slot through if you're worried about shooting as you're advancing or anything like that. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. I've got another little thing for deployment as well. Watch out for what magic your opponent has because I've made the mistake of uh, setting up in a way that someone's knocked a cavalry model into my hero or is that is that how it still works now? And then the cavalry model, the hero loses its horse? Yeah, yeah. You actually just stole the uh, words straight out of my mouth, uh, Jeremy. I was about to make that very big point. Um that is a very good uh, thing to have your heroes in the back rank, but if you're probably rocking uh, some Sorceress Blast, maybe some Call Wings or something like that, you definitely want to flip it and have the hero up front so that they, at least at the very minimum, can use their will to attempt to resist the spell and uh, you know possibly get out of a, a bad situation from the enemy spellcraft because uh, spells, are, spells are one of the, the, the best ways or the best tools that your opponent has to deal with your cavalry models, either by bringing them to them with the with the compel or blasting them straight off their horses with a sorcerer's blast. Yeah, and like I think that's a great example of what I just mentioned earlier as well. You need to be flexible. There's no one size fits all here. Yeah, just be very careful because basically your opponent's going to want to dismount you as soon as possible. That's that's they're going to be their aim, and that'll be a bit of a theme for our tactics. That's what they're going to try and do throughout. Because once you're on foot, you've just paid a premium for a model that's it's an infantry model, and it doesn't have all that infantry support that you normally have. So that's not good. No, not good at all. So please make sure that that you think about that because I, I it's it's I've. Well, I've not lost games, but I've been put on the back foot severely because of something that I've just taken for granted, just didn't measure the range, thought, well, I'm outside six inches, who cares? And then along comes a Nature's Wrath, or along comes a, a Sorceress Blast, or, or some other trick, a, a sneaky shooty guy where I could have just put my cavalry model behind a building and, and goes and, and just take off my horse, and then suddenly my battle plan changes, because if my key hero is on foot and the rest of them are on a horse, it does change how you play quite a bit. So you can... You're not going to win a game in deployment, but you potentially can lose one with a bad deployment. Yep. Uh, just one more thing I like to do in deployment sometimes is uh, it can be fun to put a bait out there. So you leave one cavalry model that's in range of whatever shenanigans your opponent has and see if they they just want to try and commit a whole bunch of resources to it that you can then counter-react to. I like that, Andrew. That's that We were a big fan of the bait of the green dragon. And, and what I do as well... I. I I, if I try it, I I like to talk about it. I, I tell people this is my bait sometimes and, and just say, this is some bait. Are you going to go for it? And then they don't. I'll say, well, how about this model? And put our hero out. Mm, you don't want to go I'm for that? Having, <laughs> yeah, I'm having flashbacks, Jeremy, to one of the games. I, I distinctly remember you playing at a Masters once and you were playing against an all-cavalry force, funnily enough, but you, you used your the, the few cavalry mods you had and kind of threw them forward, uh, kind of almost recklessly banking on that the the, uh, the the higher defense of your cavalry were going were, were gonna to buy you the time you needed for the, the infantry to kind of catch up. So you kind of had these outriders at the front of your uh, army, either to A, buy time, or B, 
uh, force and engage because if you trap a bunch of models that are attempting to trap you, you can get a lot of bang for your buck out of a single model or be able to push your opponent back because they're worried about the threat range of a cavalry model because that's one of the th- things that cav have going for them is, you know, with with a, ch- with a charge and having that four attacks, any cavalry model can knock out, you know, a captain-level hero quite quite easily and kind of almost unexpectedly, I, I can't, you know, kind of go on about how many games I've played where a single cavalry model, like a single Rider of Rohan is knocked out, like an Orc Captain or an Urukai Captain or, you, you know, something like that where, you know, you have this pretty important model and it just, bang, it's gone. Mm. Now, I sound, I feel like we've gone slightly out of deployment into our next segment, which is movement. And so once we've set, set up, uh, the big advantage of cavalry is that you've got probably, most likely, you, yeah, hopefully, better movement than all your opponents. So how you use that movement is going to make or break the game for you. So, Andrew, how do you take advantage of that, that movement that you've got? Yep, so there, there are several principles that we, we need to be thinking about. The first, So the first is priority. Before your lines have met, it's generally more ideal for you as the cavalry player to lose priority because what that means is that after your opponent moves up their, their mixed arms force um, usually and the infantry has moved and all the cavalry has moved, you can then hard commit to something with your opponent not being able to react and then not being able to react on the next turn as well. Um, so generally when it comes to charging, you'll generally want to try and do it on a turn when you've lost priority. So generally speaking as a cavalry player, you're happy to see lost priorities before you've gone into melee. In terms of general maneuvering, you want to try and make sure, obviously, that when you finish your move, you're always going to stay outside of a charge distance. So if you lost priority, that's going to be like, uh, six inches against infantry. If you've won priority, however, that then extends out to 12 inches. So six inches for the, the turn they're going to have after you, and then the next turn if they win a roll-off or whatever it is to, to get into range. So you've got to make sure, always make sure that you're really careful about measuring your distances. And then make, also making that really clear to your opponent as you're doing it as well so you don't get uh, disagreements about it later. Yeah, so that's just like a good habit to get into if you're going to play that cavalry force is, is doing the measurements and doing them really, really clearly. Depending on the type of cavalry you have, your movement might be very skirmish-heavy. So if you've got lots of bows like your Rohan or your Rivendell, you're probably going to spend a whole bunch of time potentially girting around the outskirts, trying to pick off key units here and there. You can also, depending on how your opponent moves, decide I'm going to commit to this particular flank or threaten there to try and force your opponent to move models over there and then have them stuck there when you, in one single turn, move back to somewhere else. So you've got lots of flexibility in what you can do, and this kind of depends on what kind of force you are playing. Yeah, very true, very true. I tend to to get attracted to the idea with the the very light cavalry forces, so the ones where you've got enough bow fire, like the Harrod or the the Rohan or maybe even Wag Riders, so anything that's got some bow fire, and do the harassment game. So you play very fast, you spread out, and then you, you try to shoot something that's going to force your opponent to get scared. So whether it's lots of troops to whittle down the numbers, or whether you want to target a specific hero or something like that, it doesn't really matter what it is. Your whole aim is to try and get them to, to run at you. Because I find that if you can get your opponent to run at your cavalry, you might be able to to maneuver to an advantage. If they're if they're a bit reckless, if they're playing too fast, sometimes they'll make a mistake. One thing that kind of with with movement that uh, at least that I found with um, playing all cavalry armors is knowing when and where to kind of give up uh, certain parts of the table or give up objectives or you know, give ground or, you know, create a bait and stuff. Because like, like um, 
uh, Andrew said, there are exceptions to it and there, there are niche cases where you need to be aware of when it's okay to move into 12 inches because sometimes you can uh, bait uh, an enemy force come forward, you know, leave, you know, two or three moles within 12 inches when you've, you've won priority because, okay, yes, two or three of your carry moles aren't going to get charged, but there is a potential to getting a, a big counter charge with the rest of your cavalry force into your opponent and also just kind of being aware of maximum uh threat ranges from your opponent um and ways they can extend that so in in particular i remember um i I nearly caught you off guard andrew once when we were having a game in sydney at uh clash with a march uh channeled nature's wrath from i think it was like something ludicrous like 17 inches away or something like that yeah it was didn't see it coming Yeah, being able to, like, fling models across the table with really hard uh, crowd control or being able to attack from an angle that you might not be expecting is very, very important that you are aware of it because there's nothing worse than thinking, right, good, I'm out of charge range, and then suddenly there's a marching fell beast that just went, whoop, 15 inches, compel you into them, and now you're in combat with a fell beast who's about to absolutely destroy your lines or... You know, here comes a marching Elrond from a flank you didn't under, didn't realize, and they've they've parted the sea, moved their their infantry block out, and then suddenly Elrond's dropping an H's wrath in, in front of eight guys. So, being able to be aware of how far your opponent's threat ranges are, and how far your threat ranges, like maximum threat ranges and possible threat ranges, and being able to work around that because. You can, as I said before, bait people into going for those uh, engages or those attempts to disrupt your lines, but you need to be playing around it. So at least either minimizing the loss or the damage you're about to receive or having a counterplay set up ready to go for the next turn. I feel like the theme of this movement so far has been that as a cavalry force, you need to control the tempo of the game. 100%. You need to dictate that like the, the joy of a cavalry force is you should be deciding when and where you fight. Now, what do you do, Andrew, when uh, someone jumps into the woods, like, say, I don't know, an all-Merkwood Ranger army just jumps into the woods and laughs at you as you're you're dancing around? What's your go-to tactic in that situation? So that'll depend on the mission. Um, If it's an objective one, great. They're probably not capturing many of the objectives. If it's a kill scenario, um, that's where you need to start getting tricky. You need to do clever stuff, like start outside of range, wait till you lose priority and call a march so they've only got one tennis shooting at you, that kind of thing. Try and, if you've got shooting of your own, try and finagle it so you're getting just on the cusp of their range so you can um, maximize your bow shots while they can't because you've still got the maneuverability, that kind of thing. Okay, so you're still playing that that dance and that tempo game, but you've got that that added wrinkle that we didn't talk about there where it's the the go as fast as you can on a turn when you're safe and then then go all out, I guess maybe call a heroic move. Or or if it's someone like in the woods, I find that the heroes are not too bad at digging them out of woods because they... uh, they're the ones that, that don't mind not having the cavalry charge bonus if you don't have it on there, whereas your, your normal cavalry models are pretty much, well, they're not useless, but they're not useful if they're going into forests or into difficult terrain to, to charge. Yeah, absolutely. I think as a cavalry player, you always got to be not afraid to, if the situation demands it, dismount. Because there, there are lots and lots of sneaky plays that you can pull off by dismounting with, with an old cavalry army. Ah, oh, you stole the words right out. out of my mouth, Andrew. Once again, you guys are beating me the to the punch. But I agree a hundred percent. Not just with like trying to flush people out of like terrain, but for some reason, like when you're playing as an old cavalry army, you forget that 
there's a 25 mil base that they can subtly turn into. So you can almost condition your opponent into be thinking about 40 mil gaps, 40 mil gaps, 40 mil gaps. All right, the Cav model can't fit through there. And then suddenly, wham, you know, Thaden jumps off his horse, zips through, and suddenly your your Gothmog's trapped or your Azog's trapped or something like that. So you've got to be really careful and really mindful when you're playing against all Cav armies for that, that 25 mil gap. But also when you're playing Cav, looking for those opportunities to maybe maybe sneak a model in where you otherwise wouldn't be able to get a model. And there are also some armies, like if you've got a mount that doesn't run away like Wargs, you can do some really, really sneaky stuff. At the end of the game, you can try and dismount all your orcs off their Wargs. If the Wargs stay, instead of one model on that objective, you now have two. Oh, that's sneaky. Don't, don't do that. Actually, mate, no, no, do that. I like using wags. Do it. Yes, that that is fantastic. I love that. I love that trick. I remember when you did that against me, and, and my eyes lit up and went, "Wow, you can do that!" And just kind of the possibilities almost seemed endless at that point. Mm, yeah, that's it's, that's a good option. Obviously, don't try to do that with the the horses because they tend not to stay around. That would be awkward. <laughs> yes, Very yeah, awkward. you could try the courage test if you want. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there and. I, I'm of the belief that, that if you learn the movement phase with your cavalry army, you're well and truly on your way to, to winning with them. Uh, what do you think about, about that sort of idea, or do you think there's more to it than that? I would say in a way, yes, because I think it's kind of the most important thing. Having the right setup is vital. If you don't have the right setup, you're, you're probably going to lose. So if you're on a fine line, so you need to make sure that when you execute, you execute and you execute all in. I 100%. I agree with that. I would even go just go as far to say it's probably nearly two thirds of of a cavalry game is the movement phase and and how you set up your uh, your your, your charges and, and your engages and stuff like that. Because like Andrew said, when when you go in, there's there's almost no going out at at that point, or being able to get out is is going to be difficult. Mm, yes, when you're fighting against something like monsters, which aren't too worried about cavalry charge, things that you can't knock down. How do you how do you get around that? What did your strategy change at all, or do you just rely on on brute force to get through that? Well, you still get your extra attack against them. You just don't get the knockdown, so you still get a, a multiplier in that way. If they're non-hero monsters, generally find, you'll find that you'll have a hero or two that will have strike of your own, and those are usually good answer to shutting those down. If you are charging and you don't feel like you can alpha strike the the, the troll or whatever it is and kill it one turn, you can just elect not to charge it on that turn that you charge in. Um, and just have it sit there twiddling its fun where you go and kill a whole bunch of other stuff. If they're things like, you know, Troll Chieftains or uh, Ringwraith and Felbeast or the Witch Kings in particular, then you, you do have to be more careful and you kind of have to almost base your entire approach around them, even having something in the back line to stop them from flying over or trying to bait them into a different uh, kind of direction or simply saying, I'm willing to sacrifice the same amount of models to, to keep it occupied. I know that that first point you said with the the avoid of the charge, sometimes I take that a bit to the extreme where I, I use what I call the halo tactic where basically if there's a troll or something like that, like a mortar troll walking around, my models never get within six and a half inches of it and I just frustrate my opponent with it and just let it dance around. So with the cavalry, you could potentially do that. You can make it so that these models can't actually get to you and then they're a big point sink. Yep. I think last time I was on here, I talked about a game where I did exactly that. It's so satisfying when it when it happens, and definitely for you, not for your opponent, but just to be able to say that I couldn't deal with that, but I I managed to 
to cope with it just by uh, my maneuvering, my my clever placement, my my bold strategies, all that sort of stuff. You've got to talk it up, of course, afterwards. But it does make you feel feel quite good about what's going on in the game. Uh, but it, likewise, if you stuff up, monsters can be the bane of cavalry because they've got so many power attacks that that cause problems for you. Things like the the hurl is is nasty. The barge can be really problematic because they can come and get out your really important models. So there there's something that just tread carefully. I think. One very niche strategy you can use against the uh, the hurls is if you have a hero with heroic strength and you can see a hurl is coming, you put them in such a way that they can call a strength and uh, stop the hurl from going any further. I like that. Oh, we found a use for strength. <laughs> very niche, it. but love, occasionally. Yeah. Carly, do you have anything to add to that movement before we get into the shooting? I think the only other thing that I can really, really kind of like talk about is being aware of just how much uh, potential damage your your cavalry army can put out. Because, yes, cavalry armies can put out a lot, but especially when you're going up against really, really tanky armies like, say, dwarves, you know, Moran and Orcs or anything with goblins with uh, Fury or, or, or something like that, stuff that's really resilient, be aware of how much output you you actually have. So, like, are you winning on fives? Are you winning on sixes? Are, are you? Do you have fours? Do you have rerolls? Just knowing, like, what the probability is of of you getting a kill when you go in, because that can that can change how you need to engage your opponent. It might mean that you need to get a full surround before you go in. It might mean that you are overly reliant on your heroes to to, to dish out the damage that uh, you need to do to, to kill models because there's nothing worse than kind of going in with cavalry and, you know, looking for a six or four dice and not getting it because it can really, f- like, flatten your charge and really stall you out when you might, when you really needed to make sure that your your first charge and first impact did damage and was felt by your opponent. And just to plug you guys, uh, you guys did a whole episode on the maths of cavalry. So if you if you want to know the nuances of how that stuff works, I'd recommend go check that one out. I quite enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, that was a fun one. We did lots of comparisons on individual units, but once again, I think in that one I was a little bit biased because I was thinking of my, my normal strategy of adding a warband of cav to that one. The tactics, I think, are different, but those ones, that was great for just working out the, the effect involves them. And quite frankly, they're all pretty effective. They all kill. Once they win combat, they kill. Winning combat's the tricky part. You've got to make sure you win the combat, of course. Shooting is a way to, to get what you want as well. So movements, movement, you control the tempo quite a bit, but shooting even more so because a shooting threat, nothing forces your opponent into making silly decisions like losing models for no return. So this is specific to some of the cavalry armies that have a good amount of shooting. I'll start again with Andrew because he's our expert there. Andrew, what's your priority for shooting and how much like, are you putting into shooting? Are you standing still or are you moving while shooting? What's your plan in that case? Yep, so generally your priorities, you want to try and aim for heroes, knock at their horses. Uh, that's usually the first priority. If there's cavalry in general, it's usually a good idea to get rid of those because they're the thing that can catch up to you. You see isolated thing like there's a weaker backline that your bows can more easily injure, like spears without shields, that kind of thing. Those are usually nice targeting as well. Banners, horns, etc. If you have the opportunity to go for them, obviously, as with any army, you're going to want to, want to shoot them. Yeah, normally key targets. You want to take out the key targets, whatever those happen to be in the list that you're facing. So generally that's going to be whatever's maneuverable enough to get to you. And then what are, what are the utility options that they have that are going to be annoying for you to deal with? Whether you stand and shoot or you run around, 
is going to depend on the matchup that you've got and how your terrain is going to interact with you. I think moving and shooting is generally a better idea because then you're also taking advantage of maneuverability. You can try and stay out of range of their bows. You can try and split their army up. You can also get the possibility to run back to where you were, like we were covering earlier in movement, and um, be able to, to reposition on the board. But if you've got something, say, like a Rivendell list, and you've got Elrond there, and you've, you've got a turn where you know they can't catch up to you, and you can just blast them, hitting on threes with rolling, then, then go for it. But I think you're going to find you're going to spend most of your time moving and shooting. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds pretty similar to most shooting where you go for those targets, but I guess the, shooting other cavalry is a really good thought because that's the one that, that you're not going not gonna to kill. And, and later on, we'll get to anti-cavalry tactics, and that one of them is just hit them with cavalry. So that, that makes a lot, of, a lot of sense there. Kylie, what have you missed so far with the shooting? Um, I think Andrew kind of uh, touched on it fairly well, but I think I just want to kind of expand a bit on it, is when you do use your shooting in an in a old cab army, you want to remove your opponent's tools. So what we mean by that is removing their options to either engage or blunt or counter your charge. So things like uh, uh, good to bad berserkers would be a great example. Anything like uh, specters would be another uh, great example. Stuff that's going to really stuff you up when you kind of get close to your opponent and are able to start trying to get in and, and deal some damage. So just kind of be aware of, of where your opponent's tools and threats are and see if you can get a pick. But don't be, like, kind of fixated on, on getting those picks or those disruption if it's not going to be feasible. If your opponent has them really far in the back line and you've got three or four in the ways now or if, if their tools are hidden by terrain, don't go out of your way to try to get shots on them. At that point, sometimes it's just better to just go up front rank and just get rid of their front wall because not a lot of people put spears, uh, sorry, shields on their spears. So if you knock out that, that kind of front rank of dudes, even just a few of them, sometimes you, when you do go in for that charge, the spearmen really, really feel that impact a lot more than um, the shield wall would. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, not a, not a bad strategy. I, I tend to think that when with my cavalry army, if I kill anything with shooting, that's, that's a bonus because I think my main aim is always to try and force the enemy to, to run somewhere whether they're running away or towards me or whatever, as long as they're running, they're potentially out of position, they're potentially moving off objectives, they're potentially getting themselves in a bad spot, bottlenecking themselves, all that sort of fun stuff that you can take advantage of. So so shooting is a definitely a, a very good thing to have with your CAV army, and if you, if you have access to it, I would almost suggest maximizing what you can do with it. So there are exceptions, of course, things like the... Uh, like orc shooting's not, not amazing to write home about, but things like the, the Rohan shooting and... And Rivendell shooting, I know Rivendell, you, you max out anyway, but it's worth making sure you take full advantage of that because it, it could put you in such a good position for, for the combat phase, which is honestly a little bit straightforward. But I want to touch on especially uh, in this one, Andrew, the uses of heroic combats and what you do yep. with those because I think we all probably play them slightly differently, what we do with them. And I think that's the main part. So uh, firstly, in combat, Basically, your aim is to optimize and kill as much as you can. Usually, you can't shield on a horse. Remember that. So you're not doing many non-lethal strikes. But heroic combats, Andrew, how do you use these? So generally, you want to have a plan for that first turn you go in to be calling multiple heroic combats because that first uninterrupted chance uh, to get that charge in is the best you're going to have all game. So you need to make sure you're making the most of it. So you want to try and optimize the amount of damage you're going to do before your opponent can respond. And heroic combat's the best way to do that because you can potentially kill up to double the amount of models. 
So generally speaking, I would say as the cavalry force charging in turn one, you want your heroes to be calling heroic combats, sometimes tagging in with a friend, depending how capable they are, sometimes charging into to two models at once. And then the idea is then killing those two and moving on to the next one and killing those two as well. So yeah, the idea is you shock and awe. You want to hit and you want to hit really hard so that you can almost wipe a warband away before your opponent has a chance to react. And then, then suddenly your model counts look much, much closer than they did at the start of the game. So you're you're using heroic combat and you're going basically, if you've got, I don't know, just a captain, maybe you don't have a captain, but a, a captain goes into the front rank, wins the combat, obviously you call the heroic combat. Do you just keep pushing forward and go straight into the, the spearman behind it or do you maneuver around? So, yeah, so there is an alternative here. You can do like the, the, the heroic retreat, whereas you, you charge in your line of, of heroes, they all kill something, then they all run back out of range. That, that's an option as well. I mean, obviously, depending on what you're versing, if you're really scared that they got stuff behind that line and if it catches you next turn is really bad, um, you can just do that to put the pressure on your opponent. You can also use those heroic combats to then slingshot to another part of the board if you wanted to, to reposition somewhere. So I remember one game several years ago where the, the idea was you had to get, get an objective at the back of the board. So I simply ran up a flank, caught a whole bunch of heroic combats and moved half my force to the back of the board so that then my opponent was entirely encircled on both sides with halfing on one, one end and then the other half of the heroic combat jumping around and, and sitting on the other. My opponent kind of didn't know what to do or where to go at that point. I'm glad you touched on the slingshot because that's that's one of my favorite ones. I don't always use it, but to make sure that, that you can appear one way, have your hero heading in one spot, usually your opponent will set up for a second turn the next turn react. So they'll, they'll be fully aware they're going to lose some stuff on that first turn and they'll have the hero ready to go and ready to call a heroic move and charge your next turn. And sometimes I like to, to be able to throw them off by, by calling that slingshot and then disappearing, charge again, but charge nine inches down the line and suddenly you're out of range of that, that counteracting hero and you're, you're over somewhere else where they didn't expect. So it can be a bit of a surprise there, the slingshot maneuver of it yep. and it takes advantage of your movement quite a bit. And then also as part of that, you, you can do what you call the bulging. So you threaten heroic combats to run into other heroes or then force to strike who you then ignore and go somewhere else as part of that. Oh, massive. If you can pull resources off mm. that way, that's great. That's a low-risk resource reduction. Mm. Yeah, t- totally agree. I- I'm with Andrew there. I, I love the burnout uh, strategies. You know, throw all three heroes, three, four heroes you have into the, the main line, heroic combats down the line, and, you know, just, just try and knock out as many models as you can as you can because you know it buys you a lot of tempo going for that kind of strategy and it's one that can be very effective pretty much with any cavalry army since the, the power of cavalry heroes are, are are so 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 good one thing i will say though uh in regards to combat is kind of almost a trick you can do with uh some of the spell casters in in all cavalry armies is being able to pull a single model out of your opponent's line and then using that to heroic combat into other parts of your home opponent's line or disengaging. That's one particular one I particularly like doing is kind of almost the yo-yo trick where if you have heroes with renewable might, so any Rohan hero with gambling, uh, Aragorn is another great example, uh, Bog if you can get up to the 10 kills, um, you basically throw them forward, you call them at combat and you know you bring them back to, your, to the safety of the rest of your carry force and it can be it can be extremely frustrating to deal with with your opponent if they don't have the tools to be able to uh, counteract those kind of heroes but you need to be uh, careful because uh, if you botch you're kind of stuck in no man's land 
Yeah, that's the worst place to be. Actually, cavalry can get out of No Man's Land pretty well, but but you're right. The, that's the thing I'm scared most about with that heroic combat burnout. I You two use it a lot more than I do, and I think it's because I'm always in the back of my mind worried, what happens if I do all that and then they all botch? Or, uh, yeah, I botch, I don't have enough might, and I turn around and lose my horse. But I think I think in the cav army, maybe you've just got to throw caution to the wind and just say, if that happens, it happens. But I'll just take take my advantage now and push forward. As Andrew said, I really like your point about how your first turn of combat potentially is your best turn of combat. That makes a lot of sense. Yep, and just on that as well, even when you commit, generally speaking, it's not a, a good idea to commit the entirety of your cavalry force. You want a second wave. So what you'll do is you'll have your line that's charged in, and then six and a half inches behind them, you'll have a second row of cavalry. So even if you do then lose subsequent roll-offs, you've still got hitting power yet to come and then tag off guys. Yeah, that's what I like. I like that idea. That's more my conservative play. Have something in the back, have something at the side, something that, that forces that. Uh, oftentimes I go in with that first round of combat, and I... Um, I'll go in with, with almost nothing, like just three infantry cav models, not infantry, but warrior cav models, and just throw them in and just see how my opponent reacts because they have the potential to do a lot of damage, but they also have the potential to stuff up. And, and sometimes that happens when I've got the priority. So they go in and then I'm, I'm actually hoping that my opponent will, will encircle me and just take the bait there because once, once they surround something, potentially they're, they're in a very strange position. It breaks up the shield walls quite a bit. Uh, it opens things up for you to, to potentially go in and, and hit them, almost a counteract and hit around their circle. So there is some options there, but I do like the idea of just going in with the heaviest stuff and, and burning it out almost. One other thing I think uh, would be a really good point to kind of uh, mention is when you do have an old cab army kind of setting up to go for those kind of big engages, make sure you have like a uh, another hero that's a little bit further back that's harder to get to that can call the either the disengaging heroic or the re-engage heroic because if you call a heroic move with one of your models up the front they can be very easy to pin but if you have one at the back set up ready to go when you when you've gone in even if say your heroes botch and die and or they they, they find themselves out of might because they have, have to use it to either win combats to make sure they don't lose their horse or you know get out of trouble you've still got a reserve kind of backup here the captains are absolutely fantastic for doing this Kind of little mini heroes like your Baragons and your Angels of the North Mountain are also really good at doing this. Just having someone, just just one of your your kind of minor low tier cab heroes at the back, ready to, to call the disengage or the maneuvering heroic, can be very very valuable. Yep, but those kind of heroes are also really good if you want a small flanking contingent or one that's going off to score a back objective is to have that one might caddy so that when they come up against the little reserve that's been been left to face them, they'll have the, a big advantage. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, and and that's something I've I've learned uh, probably the hard way a little bit as well is that that heroics with the models in the front tend to fail because it's all eggs in one basket. If you miss the roll off, you've lost your heroic totally. But that heroic in the back at least gives you some 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 options, and sometimes that hero ends up just doing a heroic move on its own. And then the rest of the cav hit in another wave. There's lots of options there to have, but it also means that the the might in front, you've got that might for the the strikes and the heroic combats for up front, and then the moves up the back makes a lot of sense in terms of optimizing how you use your might. Just in terms of making sure that you then optimize winning those combats, there's a couple of things you want to make sure you're looking out for. So the first one is banners. Banners are so so crucial to having a cavalry force because they're such a, a multiplier for you. You really need to make sure you're winning your combats. Uh, optimizing your fight value is really important as well. Making sure that whenever you can, 
you have higher fight value than whatever it is that you're charging makes such a big difference as well. Because when you're charging in and you're getting two, three of a banner, four for a minor hero, five for a major hero on the charge, dice to win that fight, and you've got higher fight value, um, it just increases your odds, but by so, so much more than they would otherwise. Mm, uh, I can't remember who it was, but one of the uh, one of the guys from the uh, Strategy Battle Game uh, magazine does a really good job of breaking down the percentage odds to roll a six of particular sets of dice uh, with might modifiers, and it's a really good article to just kind of just kind of memorize the numbers in in your in your head of what percentage chance you do have to win a combat, and like like you said, having the banner rolls just exponentially just keeps raising that bar higher and higher and keeps preventing the, the potential for a botch because there's nothing there's no better feeling than rolling you know nothing higher than a two on four dice and then picking up that 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 last dice for the banner roll and popping the six it's it's a great feeling and you it can it can super tilt your opponent as well even better is when you do it like at a tournament or something like that and when the someone important walks by the the event organizer the to comes comes by and you get to do it in front of an audience because there's nothing like oh no i lost this but wait i have a banner and you turn around and at that point is when it's always a six usually it's not but when you've got an audience the dice know and they want to be dramatic and that's the most dramatic thing a dice can do is is turn from that triple twos where you've got three points of might to the straight natural six where you don't have to spend a single point it's brilliant yeah, absolutely. There is uh, one last kind of little trick that I think we do need to talk about. And there's kind of like this rule of thumb that's been going around with all cab armies. And that's, you always want to charge when you've lost priority. And I think I think this is a bit of a trap. Mm. I think it's a really good mm, rule, yes. rule of thumb. But there, there are times when you do want to charge when you have priority. And it's it's mostly about recognizing when you have a window to go in and you know, nullify, and the counter charge means nothing. Yes, yeah, so 100%. We, we really do need to talk about this because there are ways of playing into this strategy, so kind of calling heroic moves when you've locked priority to send in a portion of your force, and that way when your opponent reacts to a counter charge, you have a counter charge to counter their counter charge. So you, you can set up kind of these really funky layers of engages, and in particular... It can get you to take the initiative. Sometimes, if you if you hard swing into someone's say left flank with a cavalry charge, sometimes your opponent's not going to have the movement to catch up and collapse on that charge. Being able to take the initiative and create tempo through your own charges, even when you do have priority, can be can be really off put your opponent if you know what you're doing. Yeah, 100%, Kyle. That's actually really, really, really true. Having two layers of charging within the one turn is actually sometimes when you can get some of the most game-winning plays happening because you've got those layers and you can respond to the charges and the counter-charges and the counter-counter-charges. Yeah, I think, I, like, to go go in a bit of a story mode here, I think one of the best examples happened, uh, me and Matt took a uh, uh, an old cavalry list uh, up to, to, to London and played in doubles. This was, like, three years ago now. Uh, we had Earl of Young, King of Men, whole bunch of um, Sons of Earl and stuff like that, that we called a heroic move with our captain and pushed our king in with the captain of Rohan. And we had Earl left in reserve. And what that meant for us was that when it was our opponent's turn to counter charge, our opponent's fell beast really couldn't go in. There was nowhere for them to charge without copying an Earl to the face. And, you know, their fell beast didn't have strike. And the Witch King at that point had already been misdoubted, this whole other thing. But 
when you're able to set up a charge in such a way where, you know, an enemy flyer can't commit to a charge because there's no safe spot for them to go, that can be really, really game-winning and really, really potent in, in how you structure the rest of the game because then you're free to re, re-engage the, the Uruks or, or what, what happened. And in our case, we were able to do that. We were just able to re-engage a kind of wonky engage from our opponents and almost get more impact out of our charge and more surface area for my for our cav because our opponent couldn't quite get a, a proper engage on our cav and we were able to counter charge it way more efficiently. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great example. I think another one really good one is if you see your opponents currently in a choke point and when they move they're gonna spread out and come out of that choke point, like lock them up there charge in like even if you do have the priority like that that's a great example of how you can just shut down half their army almost Hmm. because that's kind of one thing that that cav both have going for them and against them is the surface area you need to be really really kind of conscious of of the fact that your opponent can get more models into your to carry than they then you can get back on them so you, you need to be making sure that you're taking advantage of surface area when it comes up so when your opponent's in a, a weird concave like you said coming out of it you're getting way more surface area you're getting way more bang for your buck your cavalry is going to hit way harder because your opponent can't bring as much of their force to bear at a single time mm, and I, that's actually something i haven't really touched on yet is how many models you should be charging each cavalry model into and in what circumstances i think generally speaking if you can i think you want your your warriors to be only charging the 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 one the one model if possible you know the one in the spear support usually if you get the wraparound and tag the spear as well that's great putting them against four i think is a little bit risky in terms of your odds even if you do have the higher fight value Mm. for your heroes generally i think you want to go up against two at a time and their spear supports because like i said when you've got the higher fight value and that many dice and might in reserve yet you're normally okay to to uh, weather the storm hmm. and and yeah just just being aware of like you've you've talked on and on about how important fight value is what do you do when your opponent has the higher fight value what, what if you're playing say uh rohan you're up against elves or you're, you're playing uh some some harad and suddenly your opponent's got you know mixed arms to Lamoral Force or something like that, or has Boromir with the banner and you're up against 5-5 five, five infantry. Yep, so then the the thing that we just mentioned there actually becomes even more important, taking on single targets at a time to minimise the amount of dice you're having in the fight. Then you're also probably going to have to maybe look at other avenues. Maybe you need to spend more time on shooting because your odds of winning straight up aren't as effective. Maybe you need to spread the army out more and encourage them to spread out so that there are less dice in each combat as well. That's very true. If, if worst comes to worst and you're fighting something that you don't think you can get through, don't fight it. Just go somewhere else and, and buy yourself time because you don't know what your opponent's going to do and they might they might end up out of position and you can take things on. Uh, if you have to go high fight, your heroes are usually slightly better at it so they can have a good go at it. So it might end up being protect your, your warriors a bit, but you've got some choices there as well and, and your speed's your number one weapon. So if, if you're in a bad spot, that can help you to get out and, and make sure that you're in a good spot afterwards. Uh, moving on to our next part, Andrew, we've got certain missions to play and and basically I can see that cavalry with the movement objectives would be pretty solid, but what do you do in the, in that straight fight mission, do you think? What's what's your normal plan if it's if the opponent's got no reason to move out of their position, out of their formation and to come at you? 
if they've got no reason, that probably means you're playing with the, the list that doesn't have any shooting. So th- what that means is, well, then you get to exact, decide exactly how and where you're going to approach that, that static block that they've got. So you know, usually that will mean that you're going to look for, like we've been talking about, that big blowout turn where you're going to go in and do some, some major damage. If they've got key units, you might want to try and be looking to take those out and just focus on those for, for that first turn. You might want to take the time to try and entirely surround their army if they're just sitting there and, and deciding not to move. Yeah, you could definitely definitely get the opportunity to do that as well with the, the speed of the cavalry and and sometimes just that that circle where you're just standing your whole cavalry army in a circle around them at seven inches can be really intimidating because they don't know where the attack's going to come from and it often forces them to do this really conservative formation and when you choose to go in you go in really hard and do that do that burnout that you said and try to break through and, and collapse it on itself. Yeah, um, and, and part of it is the psychology as well. While you're setting up, you're also waiting for your opponent to make a mistake because if they ever you know misposition something or spread themselves too thin you're giving you're waiting and giving yourselves more opportunities to try and take advantage of that as well dad the only thing i could possibly say is uh just kind of touching on a bit more of that deployment uh stuff that we kind of talked about earlier is being aware that deployment is is almost the, the part of the game where you get you get to effectively do the most movement simply because you can place uh, a model anywhere within your your deployment zone, and being aware that your opponent has that same privilege of being able to be anywhere in their deployment zone means that you know if if you do see one of those opportunities, you'll be able to capitalize on it a lot faster. So long as you also place your models in the correct spot, and just just being aware of when when you have a good deployment or a bad deployment, and one of the privileges of of having an all cab army is you can uh, effectively redeploy. If you've if you've got kind of a wonky good bad bad deployment, or your opponent has a really good deployment, you can almost reset the game through de- uh, through your maneuverability, and just just don't be afraid to do that if you need to. And being aware of where your opponent could be in deployment, I think, are the two big things that uh, you kind of need to have in the back of your mind when it comes to kind of those kill point uh, damage uh, missions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what about the run to the middle uh, missions, Andrew? The like the the seize the prize, the take and hold. I think it's called. So those ones where where you've just got to get to the center and stay in the center. Yep. So like seize the prize, I think is actually really good for cavalry because you can get there turn one. You march and dismount uh, and a model into trying to get the prize the first turn. You can also do some crazy stuff with that. Like it potentially just put most of your army in front of the prize. You might get charged, but then your opponent then has no hope of getting the prize, and you can just eventually dig it up and pass it off to someone to run away with it. If you're trying to take and hold the middle, is that is that one of the Maelstrom ones? I'm trying to remember. I believe it is. You have to... Yeah. Run, yeah. yeah. So if it's one of the Maelstrom ones, great. Your, your opponent is going to be spread so thin or they're going to burn a whole bunch of their resources to make sure that they're not. So either you're going to try and pick off a part of the army before it gets to the middle, at which point you're going to be fighting in the middle of the great advantage, or you can try and, and leverage the, the resources that they used to try and, A, either get there first because you're more maneuverable and therefore you can fight away from the objective and still have a couple of your models on it and, and have the fight happen there, or you've picked up uh, part of their army before their army got there. Getting there first is super important for, for objective-based missions because you, you can do that kind of really funky strategy where you, you, you get there first, you, you wall off and screen the objective, and suddenly your opponent is put in this really awkward spot where if they kill you, you might end the game faster and suddenly you've won because you're on the objective. Or B, they they try and go in and 
you just, you know, screen them off and, and win the grind attrition. It's kind of almost a, a win-win situation. And the, the, the speed and advantage of, of being that fast is, is a privilege that not many other armies uh, get to experience. Yeah, you do find yourself the reverse happens a little bit in scenarios like breakthrough or caption control, where your opponent can start on the middle and then they're holding the objectives and you have to deploy back. So I find sometimes in those missions, I will charge from turn one just purely so I don't seed like that pressure on the objectives and we're immediately both in contesting them and I don't have to try and wrench them back. So that's another really good point with that, especially with Reconnoiter. You kind of, uh, like, there's, there's almost a, a way of judging who's winning a game of Reconnoiter, where, where the combats are. So the closer to uh, who, whomever's board edge uh, you're fighting will generally dictate who's uh, who's got the advantage or who's got the disadvantage. And you're right, with, with objective-based missions like that, if, if you're super fast, super aggro, and, you know, take more of the table uh, in, in basically into your control, into possession, it gives your opponent less maneuvering room to, to get out. And even if worse comes to worse and you do get crushed and do get broken, if you've still got cab models on back objectives or something, they might not have the physical time or tempo available to them to reach those back objectives in a, a time frame that will be reasonable enough for them to win the game before for, before the game end condition uh, procs and uh, yeah, it's all over. Yeah, and it also means like if the game itself and you know the balance of the forces in a really even state, it means you're on the front foot and your opponent has the pressure on them to do something, or else you're going to win. The other mission type that I was having a think of is the ones where you have to go around and tag objectives. So do you end up most of the time, Andrew, staying on those objectives and letting your opponent come towards you? Or do you keep moving around, grab an objective, move off it, and, and play a much more fluid game? Uh, for the most part, you, you want to keep moving because that's the advantage of your army. The more you move, the more opportunities you're giving your opponent to make a mistake or split up or have something that you can pick off. And you can always come back and get them later because you'll get back there fast far faster than they will normally. So it's, it's less of a concern for you than it would be for them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think in, in that particular scenario, um, it's, it's, I think it's one of the best scenarios for Cav, um, simply because you can, you can almost be like a spider and be opportunistic and kind of wait for them to... Because they're, they're in this position of like, what do they do? That if, if your opponent is a big death ball and they're sitting on one objective, you just run to the other four. Particularly the middle objective, I think, is a trap. I don't think you ever really want to go for that as Cav until it's like super late game and like there's either nothing left or there's there's no defense there. Because when you're playing around the back four objectives, you can be so opportunistic. You you can just kind of be like a spider and just pick guys off and and, and you know grab grab kills when they they kind of split up to to try to get from objective and stuff. And it can be really really frustrating too because you can tag the objective and then just run away and then your opponent is forced to run up and deal with them. And if they send one or two guys to go deal and tag that objective back, you can send your whole force and just kill those handful of guys. But if they send their whole army, you just run away from that objective and grab the other four. Yeah, because I find what happens in those home missions is the board shrinks to the you know the 12 inches and the box around them between all those objectives. But there's all this space outside of it that, that's still on the board and you can still can use. You want to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's that's true. I find also the cav armies like when you get those six by four boards, you tend to get very excited. I don't know about you, Andrew, but I, I love playing on a big board as a cav army because there could be quite a challenge to to use as much of it as possible. Small boards tend to be a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah, yeah, you, you tend to have not quite as much flexibility. I think 
that there's been more of a trend going towards 4x4 rather than 6x4. I actually don't mind it that much because I think it means that the games become a bit more action-oriented than they were previously. Yeah, that, that's true. I, but I do like the, the rectangle for uneven. Maybe something in the middle. I, maybe a 5x3 or something interesting could be fun. But I, I don't know. I like, the, I like the rectangle shape, but I see what your point as well. You want to focus in. And sometimes I've played on those 6x4 boards. We've used like a 2x2 two two area of that board and not, not the whole thing. So that does, mm-hmm. that does make a bit of a difference. Uh, Andrew, is there any missions that you're not confident with with the cavalry armies? Contest of Champions. I mean, I just don't like the, the mission in g- general. But that, sometimes that one can be tricky. Um, because often what will be the linchpin of your army has to start within that charge range, and you can be dicey from the get-go. And then also yeah. don't like the mission in general, because I think it's a bit silly and unbalanced. Yeah. Uh, 100% <laughs> agree with all those points. Uh, I don't have a fermenting grudge to that particular mission at all. No, no, I really do have a fermenting grudge against that particular mission, and I'm sure regular listeners will know why. The biggest problem I have with it, I like the the actual contest part of it. I think that's that's clever. I wish there was a mechanic where you could replace your your champion. But I think the biggest issue is it's one of the few missions that absolutely 100% forces your deployment. And I don't like that. I think it takes some of the choice out of the game. And it takes some of the... Like for an army that's designed to be forward and in your face, they don't care. That's what they want to do. But a cav army, to play an all cav army, you don't want to be deploying like that under any circumstances. So to have your hand forced where you have to deploy like that makes it a little bit tough. Now, I know that some people will argue that in, in like a Maelstrom of Battle or a, um, a Reconnoiter that, that an infantry army is forced to deploy badly. But I, I think it's the extreme where it has to be that such that small area and there's really not much flexibility at all. Like even in a Maelstrom or a Reconnoiter, you get, you get to choose the point where you come on. You don't have to be right in that center, right face-to-face with a, a model that's about to kill you and take you out first turn. Mm, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you there, Jeremy. 100% mm, yes, yes. But we've talked about that many, many, many times. Yes. So uh, the next question, uh, well, first of all, Kylie and I, I think we'll go through play against Cav. And then, Andrew, you can talk about that and, and tell us what we've missed out on. Because when I play against Cavalry, uh, the, normally what I'm playing against is an army that's got a fair bit of shooting and hits like, like anything. It hits so hard. So I often find that what I have to do is, is pin it in. So spreading my force out, which is which is dangerous, but spreading out and trying to make sure that I can I can stop that cavalry from from owning the board is one of my aims. That's my horde aim. If I've got a horde army, like a, a goblin army or an orc army or some something a hobbit army, anything like that, that's what I'll try and do. I'll try to pin them into a small area so I can actually catch them. But otherwise, it's all about trying to to reduce the damage of that charge. So whether it's throw my own cavalry models into a charging model to to take away the charge bonus, to to jump into rain, to throw a couple sacrificial models that they could just reach and the rest that they can't reach to to blunt the charge, and then I can counter charge next turn. There's lots of ways. Uh, Kylie, what's your go to for playing against a cav army? What do you do to to stop it? Well. The first thing I'll do is I'll look at the mission and look at uh, what victory points are up for grabs, particularly if there's a nice big chunky three points on killing the leader. The reason why this is really, really important, because if you can dismount your opponent's uh, leader in, in pretty much any cavalry army, they are forced to almost respect that and commit at that point. Because 
an orc cavalry army with a, a non-mounted leader, suddenly they become extraordinarily vulnerable and they have to go protect their VPs because, as we say, often on the Green Dragon, in competitive game, VPs are everything. If you're not attempting to contest the VPs, what are you doing? You're probably uh, losing the game. So being able to force a cavalry army to either respect you or to engage is pretty much the thing that I'm always trying to do. So if I've got tools such as spellcasters, I'm throwing everything I've got. The whole kitchen sink at like Thaden, I'm trying to get him compelled, brought forward. If they have gambling is another great example, since he's such a good big linchpin. I'm trying to hit him with spells and specters and stuff and just trying to like drag them forward make them use resources to try and not be kind of manhandled by my spell casters if i don't have spell casters i'm looking at a way of almost pincering or trapping at least their the big uh juicy uh hero or, or the linchpin to the army every cavalry army will have kind of this linchpin this iconic pivot point this this mainstay hero that they are relying on to carry most of the game so Rivendell Knights that'll that'll be Elrond um Harad that'll be Suladan and as these heroes you want to focus in on because if you can somehow pin you know a couple of transfers or whatever you can seriously put some pressure on the on the cab army and at least have a really good shot at taking base taking away some of their agency because Andrew talked about it before cavalry is all about agency it's all about tempo if you have any way of taking away um that power that they have that is a win for you that's a massive win for you because it means mm. cavalry army is is having to play in a way they don't and we've said it a hundred times as i said on, on the green dragon if you're making your opponent play in a way that they don't want to be playing you're doing something right yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Sounds good. So, Andrew, tell us, tell us what really worries you. I know Kylie's covered a lot there, and there's there's a lot to break down there. But what worries you personally when you, someone plays against you? What scares you? The thing with cavalry is, you like you got both you guys said. You want to try and pin them. You want to try and limit the maneuverability and limit the options that make them as as good as they are. Most competitive armies will have some kind of tool that's gonna um, make a cavalry player nervous. Whether that's some kind of shooting whether that's some kind of magic, whether that's something like a spectre, whether that's some cavalry of your own to blunt the charges, you want to be leveraging those and getting them into a position where they can affect the, the cavalry army as quickly as possible. And then you also want to be looking at the terrain on the board and how that's interacting with the mission and all that kind of stuff. So if you're playing something like Domination, put one of your objectives in a wood. Put one of your objectives in a ruin. Put it right next to a, a bunch of walls, that kind of thing. So you want to try and leveraging the terrain as well whenever you can. So if you can hide behind walls if you can sit inside a forest, if you can get on top of a building. Those are all great things to try and go for. And like Kylie was talking about, surprisingly, a lot of the linchpin heroes on these all-mounted lists, quite a few of them are not three wounds, three fate. Like stuff like the Witch King or Suladan or Theoden. They've all got like less wounds or less fate than you would expect from like the 80 heroes. So it is possible to try and take them out as well. And, and when you knock them out, they're, like you said, those, those things are usually lich pins that, that you can uh, really punish the cavalry player for. Even even just getting their their key their key heroes off their horse is is yes can be enough because it's such a rough thing. Like when when you're playing with a cavalry force and say you're playing um I don't know I'm just trying to pick a say say you're playing a, a Rivendell Knights list and you have um say uh, Elrond and Gilgalad and Gilgalad gets knocked off his horse like. What do you do? do? Do you send in your cav to go support Gilgalad, who's now on foot? 
or do you leave him to the wolves and let him die? And like it's those kind of kind of thoughts you need at be forcing your 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 uh, the Cav player to make is can can win or, or or lose a game because it is hard a hard choice to to say you're dismounted I'm I'm letting you die that that on a on a hero like a gambling or a, a Gilgalad or a Bog can, can you really can you really be saying like let him die like that's a hard choice to make and and that, that's the pressure you need to put put them under. I will say, I think the biggest cavalry, counter the cavalry is other cavalry armies. They are the matchups that make me the most scared. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because there goes your maneuverability, there goes your charge bonus, and uh, I don't know, you, oftentimes you find that they've got something that really scares you because um, depending on how you design your cav army, some cav armies have that ultimate big hitter and others don't, and that can end up causing huge amounts of problems if you go against that all cav army with that big hitter. Mm, yeah, I, I find all, all cav versus all cav very like it's, it's, it's a very interesting matchup because it almost it almost resets um, kind of your playstyle in the game. Suddenly, you're not playing a all cav versus all cav uh, game. You suddenly you're playing a uh, uh, an infantry versus infantry game almost because neither of you are getting charge bonuses or, and, and stuff like that. And you know, if your opponent has a flying monster, then they're they're just a regular old monster now and. The, the way the game kind of kind of functions when that happens, I think, is is a really really interesting um, interesting dynamic that I don't think any other matchup in the game can provide. And I think if, if you if you guys are ever out there and, and want to really get some experience, because admittedly this is probably the one area I don't have as much experience as I would like, really give it a go because it really changes the way you think about the game and really changes the way you think about your opponent's cavalry because you know charge bonuses and stuff. Uh, because they're no longer useful, you're looking at ways of either knocking out horses, you know, irking out small advantages, and applying your heroes in a different way than you would normally expect. Mm, and a really interesting dynamic to those kind of matchups as well is as the game disintegrates, you start getting cavalry bonuses again as various models become dismounted, and suddenly there's like there's this giant target on those models' heads. It's like you're you're getting charged first with everyone. It really puts a span in the works as well if someone's got, as I said before, a flying monster or something like that. Because suddenly, if one of the forces got the ability to dismount and the other doesn't, you've got some real problems. So, so that that's an interesting matchup. I know there's a um, fun scenario in the the Gondor at War, the the horse and the serpent, which is is a good example of that. If you want to see what the cavalry army does against cavalry army, although I think the latest one is not all cav; it's got some infantry in it as well. But some of the earlier versions are just cav on cav. Uh, there's also a Wag Rider versus Rohan one as well, which is or cav, and it does change it because it's not it's not your infantry versus infantry because you've got these huge bases with no spear support. There's this strange skirmish where you're not getting a, an advantage for your charging, but once something disappears, it creates a massive hole, and mm. it, it is a, a unique dynamic, and it's something quite it, interesting. It, it almost like what, the, the few times I played, it, I felt it almost turns into old school Lord of the Rings. I'm talking way back when when we didn't have strike and stuff. It almost turns into how do you maximize your heroic combat? How do you you get the most bang for your buck from 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 your heroes in, in that regard? And I almost find myself, you know, d- melding back into like 2014 Kylie, who 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 had mastered the heroic combat and the kind of getting those little uh, advantages and little um, little tricks out with the, with the combats and trying to set up as many of them as possible. I just thought, I want to pick you up on one little thing. 
funnily enough, your heroic moves and charges still matter because half the time someone's got lances. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very true. Very, very true. Lances are so important with uh, all cav armies. You, you are very right there. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about lances a lot in the Math Cavalry episode. And basically, if you've got a lance, you're a heavy hitter. If you don't have a lance, you're a hitter, but nowhere near as heavy. You're not doing mm-hmm. anywhere near the damage that you would be. So so be aware of that because that, that can make a difference in that situation. Mm-hmm. Actually, one, one thing that I, I realized we haven't really talked about um, in terms of like counters to, to cav is the flying monster. And, and like chariots and stuff like that because in terms of like rules as written ways of counter and cav you know your guahi is your fell base they're your, they're your bread and butter to be able to, to deal with enemy cavalry armies yeah 100% those are the things when I see against the table I'm like the most uh oh okay I need to have a way to either avoid this shut it down or be able to feed it enough that it's not going to ruin my entire army yeah, even worse is the Guahi Kylie when uh, basically that's the ultimate cavalry destroyer. Mm, uh, well, I'm curious as to to hear how how you guys manage to deal with um with enemy monsters with with all cav. What what are your go to strategies? What what are you what are you looking to do to 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 deal with those threats? So if they're monsters who aren't flying, um, you either want to alpha strike them or, like we were talking about before, try to ignore them. If they're the flying ones, I think the entire game becomes built around what your answer to it's going to be. Whether that's trying to shoot it out, whether you're trying to encourage it to go to one part of the board while you commit to another part of the board, whether you try and bait it out, or whether you try and do an alpha strike and try and get to it before it can fly on you. Yep, yeah, you just covered all my points, Andrew. Every single one of them. That's exactly what I think. But I tend to go for the for the bait or the halo. So I either really avoid it, so stay right away from it and force it to be somewhere where it doesn't want to be. Very, very tough to do. Or more likely, I bait it. Now, because it's a flying monster, I usually throw a hero out for bait because it it will it wants to kill one of those. It's not going to really go into bad position for 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 troops. But sometimes you can bait something. You've just got to, you've got, you need some big bait for a big monster. So I'll, I'll throw out a hero in the hope that, that it will take the bait and then I can get the other heroes in through some, some combination strike combats or even, well, next turn is not ideal, but if it's all I've got, it's all I've got. But it does, I totally agree, change the entire game and the game becomes about deal with a flying monster, then deal with everything else. It's not, it's not both. You, you, you're doing one and the other. Something we should touch on as well is sometimes those cavalry armies will also have flying monsters with them, and that makes that dynamic even more interesting. Especially if you, if, if if your opponents are an infantry force with say a fell beast, and you're say a all mounted uh, I don't know Rivendell knights force with a guar here, or you're a all mounted harrod force with a couple of fell beasts too. How, where you leverage your fell beast? Like, do you use your fell beast to go rob their fell beast to charge bonuses? Do do you all in? Like, uh, what do you do in that kind of circumstance? It can create some really interesting uh, uh, gameplay patterns that you kind of almost need to have the experience to know how to deal with. And, like, I think that's one thing that we, we haven't really said with Cav Armies. Cav Armies is one of those armies that you really just need to put in the hard work and get games under your belt with. I think that's part of the reason why you've become so successful, Andrew, with all Cav Armies is because you've taken the time to get lots and lots and lots of, like, four years worth of practice on one type of army, like, that's almost, if, if you're going to really truly master this army, you're looking to put in, you know, whole years worth of practice into figuring out how these armies work and kind of learning their tendencies and what they can and can't do. 
Yeah, like the thing about that is there are some general principles you can extend to all of them, and then each of them is going to have their own little nuances or quirks, depending on how that list is put together as well. That's very true. There are some transferable skills, but they each have their own unique character. And that brings us into our, our second half of the episode really well, because what we're going to look at now is how to make a Cav army list and also show some examples that we've made for, for different armies. So, so first of all, Andrew, you, you mentioned some general principles. I want you to give me now the general principles for, for creating a Cav army. Then we'll go into some, some allies that, that are pretty handy, maybe the flying monsters, and then some, some army lists. So general principles for designing a Cav list. What do you, how do you start? Yep, so general principles. You need banners. That's if you can get one, take one. It's almost like a non negotiable. Not only just like, you know, for the mission points, but then also like we talked about before as as a force multiplier to win those all important combats. My personal preference is to go hero heavy because that gives you redundancy in terms of the heroic moves you can make, the amount of coverage you can have in different areas of the map, the impact that you can have in making heroic combats. You don't have to go that way. Um, you can go more numbers heavy and have, you know, maybe even a third weight of cavalry charges if you want to do that as well. My my personal preference is to opt for the, the knockout blow. Like we touched on earlier, generally try to avoid putting more than six cavalry models into a single warband just so you have some flexibility in your deployments. Just on that as well, I, I like I like the eight because you can do three triangles of three. You're what, talking what about you eight, by... eight warriors in a warband yeah, yeah, yeah. hero, and yeah, then you can potentially split off. Oh, I see. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. You can do that as well. Yeah, like and part of it depends on you know what the, you know the terrain is like and the local scene and how it's going to interact with the amount of space you got and the missions you're playing and all that kind of jazz as well. If you got the option for shooting, generally you want to try and take it. That's generally a good idea because that's going to be one of the advantages that you're going to have. If you got the option for magic, that's usually a decent idea as well because that gives you an actual tool in the arsenal to try and expose your opponent and punch through holes. But after that, it'll tend to go into the, like you know the specific nuances of the list that you're considering. Is there any sort of golden number or ratio for for number of cavalry models we should look at? We had one with infantry, and and like we we talk about elite armies having uh, one model per twenty points. So if you're in a, a five hundred point, you're looking at twenty five models. If it's a horde army, you're looking at like significantly more than that. Is there any sort of number you aim for? Do you go for like one model every thirty points or or whatever, or do you just just see what you get, take the heroes you need, and then just see what's left over? Yeah, I tend to go with the, the latter principle. So what that then converts to is anywhere between 18 to 25, generally speaking, for a cavalry army at about 750 points, there or thereabouts. Okay, so we are talking low model count, and, and we've been yeah, you, to start. You, yeah, you're going to be outnumbered almost every single time, which is why you've got to leverage your advantages. Mm, yep, yep. And do you always go for like a big hero to lead, or do you can you deal with just a small or medium hero? No, actually, I actually prefer multiple smaller heroes better than one big hero because like we said then you can be in multiple places at once you get more that you can do in a single turn fair enough okay good well, well that that's that's good principles there Kylie, do you want to add to to those principles for building cab or we're we happy to leave it with andrew's advice uh, i think always be aware of kind of what's your overarching kind of goals with the army and what's going to synergize with your army really well like what what options you have so like for gondor for example there are a lot of mounted heroes that you have access to and i think you really want to be really want to be uh careful and really consider which mounted heroes you're going to opt into and then making sure that the rest of your army is designed around amplifying those strengths so it's not just always about you know all right i'm taking the rohan army Thaden, gambling amir eowyn done 
But there are other really good tools in the army that you can uh, decide to opt into. And depending on how you imagine yourself playing or how you plan on playing, especially with stuff like Mordor, who have a lot more options in versatility in terms of what cavern walls they can take, um, you really want to really think really hard about what tool you want and how you're building your army around that tool. So for Mordor, what Wraith or Felbeast are you taking? Are you taking the Witch King and Kamul? Are you taking the Witch King and the Shadow Lord? Are you taking the Witch King and a Great Beast? Like, what what tools are you including and how can you make those tools more impactful and what can you do to support them? Yep, I'd agree with all those points. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Andrew, this is a part I've been actually pretty excited about. In Cav Armies, I've noticed yeah. you've taken a bit of allies as well. What friends do you put into the to the Cav Armies? What are the go-to models? Like often single drops or double drops or whatever. What, what kind of models can we add to our Cav Army just to, to give it a bit more punch? Yep, so funnily enough, I found the more I play Cav, the more and more I've just been opting for, for mono lists. But there are some good stuff out there. Throwing a wizard in a list is always um, worth a shout because you get the magic. If you're taking Gandalf, you get the blinding light. That's great. You can pull bottles in, do slingshots off them, blast models away, all that kind of fun stuff. So wizards are always really nice. Some of the Fellowship heroes are really nice as well. Legolas is really great with a full of shooting. Boromir is great as a hand grenade. Aragorn with Mighty Hero is always awesome as well. And then having an eagle, if you're you're the good side, that that's quite nice. Gwaii is great as just an extra really potent force that can hurl models and counter possible flying models that your opponent has. Obviously, on the evil side, throwing in Felbeast is nice. I will say, I think for the evil side, I think you're probably going to go monolith most of the time. I think most of them have the things that you want because like, I think the only thing you ever really want to ally in would be a Felbeast. But within the lists themselves, like if you're running, say, like Azog's Hunters, you could ally in a warband that's got Berserkers or a Mercenary Captain or something like that. Those can be quite handy because they'll fulfill a similar role in terms of maneuverability. Or, you know, if you're playing Isengard, you might want to throw some scouts in there as well, maybe for, for added maneuverability. So stuff that can, can keep up, basically. Yeah, I like that idea. I, I just like the idea of the the Goblin Mercs, the, the Azrox Hunters, that just, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Maybe I should have put that in my list. But yeah, that's mm. that's a good idea. I totally agree with Guar here. I feel like that as a good army, that's a, that's a solid choice for, for mm. Cav Army. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to uh, one of our good friends, uh, Joshi, uh, has a all-mounted uh, Dolamroth Knights army that has a converted Guar here to be a giant swan. And it, it does some funky things with that swan. <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> I think we take a break now. We listen to, to some music and then we get into our, our special mustering of the All Cavalry Armies. And we're back. This is going to be uh, it's going to be an exciting segment, I think, because we've got a lot of army lists of all different factions. All the rules here are all cavalry armies, or I, I decided to loosen the restrictions a little bit. All cavalry armies, 
all the models that can keep up. So they have to be able to, to support them that way. It has to be majority cavalry armies. The main thing from one list, you're allowed to take some allies, but of course that might weaken your force, but it has to have that flavor. So I set those rules uh, between 500 and 1,000. We'll be very specific about what points level it is. They're not all the same points level, and that's partly because some of the army lists don't really go that well at different points levels. So we've got some flexibility here. But we'll go through, and hopefully we'll all follow the rules. So, Andrew, can you start off with your first list? So, the first thing that we're going to look at is Rivendell, and I decided for this one to do a 500 points list. So, Warband 1, we've got Euron, Master of Rivendell, with Horse and Heavy Armor. He is leading eight Rivendell Knights. One of them has a banner. Seven of them have shields, because I was one point over. Uh, In Warband 2... We have Boromir of Gondor, the Fellowship version, with Horse and Shield, with a total of 10 models at 500 points. Wow, I didn't expect the Boromir to show up in that, that Rivendell list, because Rivendell is one of those cavalry armies that I think does function on its own, but you've got... Wow, yeah, Boromir's a bargain hero, isn't he? Yeah, so there's a couple of rationales for this. A, I just wanted to show that this is something you can do. Then also, he's only, I think it's 10 more points more than the captain. Uh, you do lose the lance, but you get an extra attack. You get way more heroic actions and way more might to to, to work with. Um, and because in, in this edition, uh, Rivendell Knights uh, can no longer move through uh, the trees, um, you don't have to worry about Boromir getting left behind and, and put away. So what this means is that you've got two incredibly powerful hard hitters, and you've still got a really good shooting force as well. So you can play all the elements of a cavalry force. Yeah, nine points of... My at 500 is nothing to be sniffed at, especially as an old cavalry army. You you will be dictating when and who engages at what time in the game. And I love Boromir at 500 points because I've talked about this a few times, but Boromir's six points of might puts him in this really cool position where he can basically do what I like to call the death touch. Having that six points of might, especially behind three attacks, if you hit something, especially if it's trapped, you're basically going to kill that thing because you just go, right, Five points of might, take it off the table. And if it's an opponent's key model, like, I don't know, a Shade or the Witch King or one of their leaders or something like that, it can be very, 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 very potent and can be worthwhile spending those resources to do it. And Boromir's the only guy in the game that can do it. Yep, I like to call him the hand grenade. You chuck him in, something's going to blow up. And part of that as well is because you've got these two really massive heroes... I'm fairly confident you're going to take out whatever your opponent's bringing in terms of having a big thing. Between mm. the two of them, it's, it, they're going to knock it out. Yeah, that, that's scary. I feel like playing against this one, you, your only hope is to reduce its numbers and get objectives really quickly because those two heroes can hit like anything. And the problem as well with playing against this army is you're never going to have control of the priority phase with all the, that Alron's foresight and all the might for heroic moves. It's This is the ultimate dictate what's going on in the game and such... So, like 10 models at 500 doesn't sound like a lot, but they, they every single one of them packs a punch. Yeah, I think you can knock out most of a warband in one hit and suddenly the numbers don't look so bad anymore. Mm. Oh, Particularly uh, if you're looking after those Rivendell Knights. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, peel, yeah. You're basically using them to peel for uh, Boromir and Elrond whilst they go, kind of go ham on your opponent's force. And because it's so small, you can basically get everyone around that banner as well. Yep, yep, that, that's one of the goals as well. You want to make sure you're getting full coverage, which you can. Also, just the thought of, of if you see a troll or something like that, just throw Boromir and a knight into it, and you're pretty much going to take it out the majority of the time with the, the lance on the knight and, 
and Boromir doing his thing, there's, there's not a lot that can stand up to that. No, you're looking for some really kind of corner cases and almost models that are almost designed to take that kind of stuff down. Like, like, like we said, like a, 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 a Gulliver or a, um, a Guahir. Yeah, but if you're taking those at 500 points, you're probably not going to have much of an army either. Correct. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and you've also got the sneaky Elrond with the uh, the spells. So so being able to knock people down for a turn is... I find it like it's good offensively, but it's so good defensively to be able to put them there and then to to run away or to maneuver somewhere else. It's it's oh, it's, a, it's a dangerous army. I love that one to start off, Andrew. So I'm going to try and match it. Um, I'm not sure how good I am, but for my 500, I've gone for Erebor Reclaimed. I've got Thorin, the king under the mountain, with a war goat. So I've got possibly the slowest cavalry in the game, but it's a goat, so too bad. He's leading an Iron Hills goat rider with war spear. Of course, the war spear is the way to go here. Then I've got my second warband, Killy, with a war goat, leading an Iron Hills goat rider with war spear. Then in warband three, I've got Philly, the champion of Erebor, of course, with the war goat. He's got a goat rider with a war spear. You see a bit of a theme here. And warband number four is Dwalin on war goat with an Iron Hills goat rider with war spear. So eight models, 500 points. I don't have a banner, but I have the uh, Dubakar effect. So all the Erebor models. So that's what Thorin, Killy, Philly, Dwalin. I'm not sure if Thorin gets it, but... Uh, uh, the Iron Hills get it too, I think, in the reclaimed list as an army bonus. Do they? I think. I think. I will double-check that. You keep going. Yeah, you double-check that, Kylie. I'm not sure that you do, but I'm, I'm really low on models here, but I'm really high on heroes. So I've got I've got four heroes. I've got, at the very minimum, a fight five on these heroes, mostly more, uh, and Thorin is is a bit of a machine at this point. So, Andrew, what's your thought on this list? That's 12 might, right? they got three each? Yes, I will uh, once again do a, do a Kylie and, and double-check that, but I believe they've got that, and I think Thorin's got some free heroics as well. Yep, so I think... If, I guess we can compare it to the one we just talked about, like because they're both at the same points level, so we've got to go points of comparison. It's got less of the tools than the Wimbledon one does because you can't shoot and you're less maneuverable, but I think you're going to hit even harder. You've got four heroes mm. at 500 points. And they're with, not... with, with Dwalin and yeah. five <laughs> These aren't captains here. Yes, they're all fight five and fight six, and you also got three heroics on uh, Thorin there, so uh, there's some fun shenanigans you can do with that. Yeah, so I think this has the subtlety of a sledgehammer, but it's also gonna it's gonna hit like a sledgehammer. Yeah, you're right. It, it's not subtle at all. I can maybe split into two forces if I absolutely have to. I can send the goat riders to go get objectives while the four heroes hit if I have to. But ideally, it's 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 coming together. The goat riders are almost sacrificial to to claim space, so I don't get surrounded. And these heroes just go to town and they hit hard. They Thorin's. Oh. We're talking about three three heroic combats. So he gets, and that, that's what you want to do with the, the all-cav armies anyway. So it gives him a role, but he's got this massive profile, and he's, he's sitting at defense eight with a, a defense oh, six goat, that's... which is pretty pretty handy. And then you've Dwar- got... Dwarlin is disgusting. He, has, <laughs> he can fight with one axe. That's, that's effectively six attacks to win a combat. That is, that is, that is illegal. That is illegal. That is, that is rude. Something I just noticed as well, Jeremy, and I'm going to assume that you did this deliberately, is you can kill all the goats and not be broken, or all the warriors, I should say. That's the, that's the plan, is that the numbers... Yep. The goat riders are literally there to, to add extra attacks and to die, so you have to get at a hero, first of all, to, to get the break, 
And to get to a quarter, you have to kill two of the heroes and all the goats. That's a big ask because they're none of them are easy to kill, especially hovering at defense eight for every single one of them, and and at least two wounds and a fate, which is which is pretty good. Yeah, Dualin is a killing machine. Thorin's a killing machine, and Killian and Philia are are actually a real bargain on a goat for for eighty five points. You've got to fight five. Uh, just two attack model, but you've got the the charge bonus. You've also got the uh, the war goats knockdown as well, which can be pretty handy. It gives you some advantages early on against infantry, and then it, it basically means you you're more survivable because you'll knock them down before even if you lose the combat sometimes, because yeah. you hit them as you go in. But you've got the three might, which is just incredible bargain for yeah. an eighty five point yeah. cap hero. They're, they're basically uh, your heroic move, movers and the ones that are calling all of the uh, utility uh, heroic actions uh, out of. Killy and uh, Philly there, so that can be very um, handy. Just yeah, kind of using their three one one might to to do all the auxiliary stuff, whilst uh, you keep Thor and Dwellings for uh, killing, beating, and uh, uh, winning combats. Yeah, I, I just want to point out a couple of things. The first is you're, we're seeing the theme here of having more heroes than you might normally expect for a given points level, and then something else I want to point out particularly here about these two lists that we looked at so far is at the lower points for cavalry sometimes you have less of a contingency or a second wave. Like, once you go in, you don't really have a reserve line there with this amount of models. Then you're stuck into combat for the most part, and then you're going to have to start relying on the heroic move roll-offs a little bit more than you might at, at higher points where you can potentially have multiple waves of cavalry coming in. Yeah, for this one, I almost see it as having three heroes go in with maybe a goat as the first wave and having one yep. of the heroes, Kili or Philly, and a few goats as the back rank. Because I don't want those goats to die cheaply because that's going to prevent me from breaking. So I don't mind them as the rear rank. And I feel like Thorin, Dwalin, and one of Kili or Philly going in with, with enough goats to just stop them getting surrounded is going to do serious damage to things anyway. So that's how I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning playing it, is I hit with the two waves, but they are very much a small wave, and it's very much a tip-of-the-spear type attack where it's throw three heroes in, do that burnout combat you talked about at the start, and just kill as much as I can. And if I lose my goats, I lose my goats. These guys can fight on foot just fine. But hopefully by that point, I'm in the, the place I want to be. And the goats are amazing at going after objectives late game because they. I find that they, with that little the, the knockdown, that's very handy. They're, they're really hard to kill because you've got tough to kill goats. You've got tough to kill dwarves on top of them. And they've got the lance. So if they get the, the win, they end up killing whatever they charge. So these guys are really good. And if you're on rocky terrain, I oh, love it. Goat riders love the rocky terrain. You talked about like tip of the spear and, and that. You also got to remember these are defense eight, <laughs> yes, warven heroes. The crackback is it's kind of be almost like non-existent. Like you're gonna need to get some serious traps or have some serious monsters being able to to rent to bypass that defense eight. Like that's not gonna be an easy nut to crack, especially at five hundred points. Like you're gonna need full on traps. Yeah, I think you're maybe some tuna weapons first. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a tricky tricky to take even just one of these uh, dwarven heroes down. It sounds like Andrew just said they'll go for the goats, and I absolutely one hundred percent agree they will. But even then, if those four heroes are in the right spot, they can take on an army themselves. So I'm actually really excited about this one, and I, I've struggled with the the Iron Hills a little bit because I'm, I'm conscious that I wanted to make these army lists possible to play and buy and goat riders cost like a house deposit to get so you don't want too many of them so i feel like having a total of eight however you get the goats whether you will you proxy a goat or you convert a goat or whatever if you had to buy eight that's not 
out of the realms of possibility and getting the champions is not out of the realms of possibility. So I feel like this is something that, that could give you a, have a lot of fun and you can definitely get the infantry contingent if you want to expand it out as well and have a mixed arms force. Yeah. I really like it. It looks, it looks like it'd be really fun to play. Woohoo. Yay. I tick the box. First of all. Okay. Kylie, what's your first one? All right. So I've, I've got Gondor and I, I armed an art and then armed an art and, uh, and then honestly, we had a bit of a preamble before we we did we did this record, and uh, Andrew did mention the five value was so important, and I'm like, yeah, five value is important. So I decided to go with Gondor, and you know who's who's the 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 fightiest hero in Gondor is Boromir, of course. So I've got Boromir, Captain of the White House. Hour, on horse with the banner of Minas Tirith to lead my little 500-point all-cavalry Gondor force, and here we go. In his warbands, he has got seven uh, knights of Minas Tirith with shield, one knight of Minas Tirith without the shield, uh, three Citadel Guard on horse with longbow, and then in warband number two, it's our boy, it's Baragond, guard of the Citadel on horse, and he has three Knights of Minas Tirith with shield and three Citadel Guard on horse with longbow. So, Kylie, you said seven Knights of Minas Tirith. On your little list here that you've, you've given us a preview of it when you're showing off your list, does that say ten Knights of Minas Tirith? Is that... it, it does, and I realized my mistake afterwards. See, I'm so used to making Baragond into a micro-warband <laughs> whenever I write a Gondor list. It's always like, Baragond. Three Citadel Guard on horse. That's my micro warband, like, off on the flank in my mixed arms force. And then I realized, hang on, I'm doing an all-cab force. Baragon's warband needs to be maxed out here so that I'm not all congested around Boromir. So that was a bit of a mistake by my part, and I decided to try and subtly, like, <laughs> sneak in a, a quick fix when I uh, read out the army list, and hopefully you guys wouldn't notice. No, I noticed. <laughs> clearly you noticed. Good so, save. Uh, you were listening. Yeah. <laughs> now that that makes a lot of sense. I I agree with you. I think having more in Baragon's warband makes a huge amount of sense because, uh, like Boromir, it's scary if you have fifteen horses in one warband, but having that that twelve or so is much more manageable in terms of deployment. Mm. So I'm not, I like that. I, I've played with a similar army to this, and it plays so so nicely because the Citadel Guard works perfectly with the the Knights of Minas Tirith because you've got the you've got the shooting threat. But more importantly, you've got the bodyguard. So you've got objective captures, capturers, or you've got those sacrificial models where if you just have to charge a monster and distract him, the Citadel Guard will happily sacrifice themselves mm. for that. So this is a fun army to play against, and it's one that they have used, and it's good fun. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got all the stuff for this list as well. Admittedly, my Boromir isn't painted, which I really need to get around to actually doing at some point. But yeah, you're right. It's super fun. Um, you got fight the magic fight five, which you kind of need to 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 deal with some threats. And Boromir fight seven, like okay, yeah, he doesn't have a lance and he doesn't have a shield, um, mostly just because of how points break out there, uh, reason for not having the shield. But he's so hard to deal with at that low points. Like fight seven, especially when he provides his own banner reroll. It's like, what what do you do to stop him? How, how do you how what you don't. tool do you, <laughs> what tools do you have to stop him? So unless you're packing like a Glorfindel or a Gilgalad, you're going to be hard pressed to really 
find a model that can reliably deal with the Boromir because anyone else who's fight seven is going to basically get locked into a duel with Boromir for the entirety of the game. And uh, the game is going to be decided on who, who kills the other's uh, big alpha threat first. Yeah, I think Boromir is almost mandatory for an all-meta Gondor because like we were saying before with 5A and what he contributes to it. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I would I would say though, depending if we uh, include uh, Dolamroth in this mix, you, there is a case to be made that you can run it if you're, say, doing like uh, here in Faramir, uh, Imrahil, because Imrahil provides fight five with the Knights of the Dimroth. That said, you could go Imrahil and Boromir and go fight six Knights of Dimroth if you want to be one of those crazy professionals. Uh, but, <laughs> like, kind of overall, there are other options. Like, again, off the white is another option I think uh, is very important in an all-cavalier. You could do some funky stuff with. Flying Light, the control with spells, you know, maybe have Faramir in there to provide some strikes and stuff. Uh, and Aragorn, King Aragorn, is in that list as well for a banner reroll uh, inherent effects. So there are other options to Boromir. I think you just need to really think about how you're going to get your fight value up and what else you're doing to bridge that gap if you're not taking Boromir. No, th- th- those are all fair points. I mean, I, I think part of the challenge is you can't get them all. You have to pick because they're all so expensive. And yeah, I for me, I just can't look past the fight value. Yeah, no, to- to- totally agree. I- I'd be leaning towards an Imrahil or a Baromir pretty much any day of the week if I was doing a all Gondor or uh, I- I'm including Fiefdoms as, mm-hmm. as a part of that equation because let's be honest, they all have the Gondor keyword. They all synergize with each other's effects. They're basically Gondor, but... Yeah, I'd be looking at one of the two just to get that, that fight value up there. But uh, let's not forget the free point of my every turn from Aragorn is very, very potent. Yeah, and just one more thing I want to touch on that's, again, a theme between all the lists we've got here. When we're talking about the heroes that we've got, we talk about how, all oh, there's not much I can do with them. And, you know, if there is, they're big points as well. Probably the great thing with our cavalry armies is you're more likely to be able to decide what your heroes are doing. And it's going to be difficult for your opponent to, even if they've got that piece, to get it into, into play with them and try and shut them down. Yeah, you definitely definitely can get your heroes in the right spot. So that was that's a pretty lethal 500 points. We each put it together 500 points for there. Andrew, what have you gone to for your next list? Uh, so my next list is a mortal list at 600 points. Mm. So mortal's got a couple of options, but I've decided for a fairly thematic kind of one. In Warband 1, we have the Witch King of Angmar with the Crown of Morgul. He has three might, 12 will, and two fates. And a horse, obviously. Uh, he is leading several Morgul knights, one of which has a banner. We then have the Mouth of Sauron with an armored horse. He is leading several Morgul knights and one Moranan orc with shield. Mm-hmm. And in Warband 3, we have Shelob. All right, Jeremy, go on. No, go I... on. What... No. Uh, ask the question. Ask the question. No, no, I just, I'm just, at this point, I'll just, just go over. I think there were some rules at the start of this about keeping up. So, Andrew, explain yourself. <laughs> so, sometimes you find that you have eight points left after writing a list, and unfortunately, the cheapest cavalry model is more than eight points. So, then you have to try and find a reason to put a single infantry model in your force. And there are some legitimate reasons for you to do that, like just simply if you've got the points left, because then you can leave them back to, to be an objective holder for the whole game. But I thought in this case I could run him as the squire for the mouth of Sauron, going around carrying his equipment and all that kind of stuff for him. Mm. That's great. You couldn't just put an extra point of will on the Witch King? I could, but this also made my uh, model count an even number, so I thought uh. it was more worthwhile that way. 
And then with that as well, because you got the mouth of sound as a secondary caster, I didn't feel the extra wheel was as needed as it might be otherwise. Uh, the fade point could be useful though, or the blade. But I think yeah. I actually don't mind like a single infantry model just for those like um because uh, you're not too fast if they die. Like sometimes you can just kind of hide them in a corner and they can just shield the whole game or, or something like that. But in particular, you can use that infantry model in like. The, the sea surprise missions or the ones where you've got to pick up objectives to like just kind of go in, pick it up, and then handball it to to the Witch King or the Mouth of Sauron or something like that. That can be yep. uh, can be can be valuable to be able to do that. They're also great fun to use as bait. Yep, yep, yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, unfair. Uh, look, I, in terms of the actual army, ignoring the the infantry one, Shelob and the Witch King together is incredibly nasty and it's fitting with our theme of hitting really really big because Sheila hits like a like a, a ton of bricks and the witch king can make sure that that it, it, it it's doing that but also it can hit just as hard and you've got the crown of morgul which is what you want of course so you've got the extra attacks and you've got the mm-hmm. spell ability mouth of sauron's no slouch and morgul knights can be can be brutal as well so this is this is looking pretty good the double cast is really enable Sheila to be able to do Sheila things because Sheila always struggles she needs time to kind of isolate and then pin and kill a hero. And having double cast just really enables her uh, a lot to be able to do those shenanigans because you've got movement, you can compel models into position, you can lock up so they can't strike out of it. But in particular, I love Sheila in this list because you're pretty tanky. you got Terra on pretty much every single model here. Um, except the orc. Except, except for the orc. We don't <laughs> care about the orc. He can go up in the corner. Um, if if you're up against Mahood, you just you just send him off completely away from your army, so they're not getting like warrior pride or any, anything crazy like that. But in particular, your army is really tanky, and Shelob can be that kind of frontline tank and play this tank role if you need her to. And with the fight seven, she allows you to take down targets that you might not have been able to easily deal with because you opted not to take the Morgul Blade. Shelob allows you to still take those targets down because, you know, she's strength seven, she's got pounce, she's got poison, she does all these fun special rules. And I really love the way the Morgul Knights work around her as a tank and as a pivot point because being able to, like, move to the other side of the Shelob on a turn where your opponent doesn't, you know, counter or you win a, a heroic move off uh, can be really, really uh, disruptive for your opponent because, like, you pivot around her and then suddenly there's a, a giant monster that they have to, like, deal with first before they can get to the juicy meat of your army that is the Morgul Knights. Yeah, so I actually think this is one of the armies that can last in prolonged combat and lose every single heroic roll off and live the longest. It's really tanky. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe the Iron Hills one, but this is definitely a tanky army as well. Yeah, the, the, and that that says a lot as well. To be able to take the charge as a cavalry army and and shrug it off is is particularly brutal. There's a few that can do that. Minas Tirith at a pinch, Easterlings at a pinch, but yeah, this army in particular with the terror as well just enables it. And they can do fun fun shenanigans like running forward the Morgan Knights and like objective capture, dismount, and then you know just going to the shielding formation where you're just basically shooting every single turn and people can't really deal with it in any, you know, meaningful way because they're either bouncing away from it, buying time for your other models as well to, to deal damage. But I, I really like it. I really like the composition. And, man, I wish I had some more Morgan Knights to be able to do it. It's only one extra box I need to pick up. Maybe I'll pick up that extra box I, and, <laughs> and have a go with it. I actually have a spare box. Maybe we'll talk after this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I love deals. Well, I'll, I'll hit you up. I'll hit you up. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so far, I've, I've been impressed, actually. I want to play them all, which is which is really good. This is what we want to do. And, and the listeners are the same. They're, they're spending big money all the time. Every single one of these models has gone out of stock on the website. As soon as we've released this, we know what happens. Okay. So my next one, I've got Easterlings. And, and listeners know how much I, I love the Easterlings. And, and there's a whole bunch of things. But really, the aesthetic is just phenomenal. It's, it's such a good-looking army. So I've gone for 750 points, which is going to be running at 20 models, which is not too bad for a cavalry model. Which is what I found out. So I've gone for Amdur, the Lord of Blades, on Armored Horse. I've got my Armored Horse, which is all good. Amdur acts like a banner, so that that's pretty handy. He gets the bigger banner effect if he kills the enemy leader, which he really wants to do. And and he's he's just a solid hero now. He's he's really really useful, and he's one that that you want around. He's got the ability to get back might for killing heroes, which is what you want to do anyway. So that just rewards you for doing what you should be doing. So that that's really nice. He's leading an Eastland Cataphract of War drum. So so far, I think I've got the fastest cavalry army so f- uh, here with the drum. And then I've got five. Gotta go fast. Oh, super fast. 15-inch cavalry, love it. And five cataphracts with that warband as well. I know that some people don't like the cataphracts, but I think they, they do the job that, that you need them to do in, in a cavalry army quite well. I, I They're not the best thing in the world, but they're definitely not the worst thing in the world. Warband 2 is Kamul the Eastling on Fell Beast, which is just so good that I've got this guy built into the army. So I've got my spellcaster. Not the best spellcaster in the world, but hits really, really hard. Gives me my flying monster to jump around, to do hurls, to to compel heroes towards me, and really enables, enables the, the character assassination of this force. So Kamul bringing something towards a hero, compelling them towards Amdur, and then Kamul and Amdur hitting them together means that, that hero is going down, and then Amdur gets the might back. They love it. They're such a good team. So Kamul's leading four Eastling Cataphracts and one Cataphract with Banner. So I've managed to sneak in a Banner in this force, like, like Andrew suggests. I didn't get one in last time. I definitely got one in this time. So I've got two Banner effects going, which I think is pretty good once you get to more and more models because you might actually want to play on two fronts. And in an army like this, Amdur and Kamul might go off on their own mission force and everyone else might fight somewhere else. So I needed the Banner. Now, Warband 3 and Warband 4 are very similar. I've gone for an Eastling Dragon Knight. No prizes for guessing that. With Armored Horse, the Warband 3 has three Black Dragon Cataphracts, which is enough to enable that little formation they do where they get bonuses to the defense. And Warband 4 has got the same thing, but only two Black Dragon Cataphracts. So a Dragon Knight, Armored Horse, and two Black Dragon Cataphracts. They've got better fight value. I think they've got better courage. I can't remember exactly, but... They, um, they're they pretty handy to have around. And the Eastling Dragonites, they're little mini Amdurs, so they can do the same thing when they kill heroes. They get better. They hit really hard. Uh, they're, they do die, but I've got two of them, and they can die. They, they die. They're, they're perfect burnout heroes. You go in, you kill lots of stuff with them, and then they go down. So I, I'm, I actually don't mind the look of this so far, and I've gone, once again, more hero-heavy than I usually do, but it's, it's four big heroes, 750 points, 20 models, uh, Andrew, how do you like this one compared to my other ones? Uh, I'm always I'm a massive fanboy of, of Dragon Knights. I love them so much. Um, like I mentioned before we started, I've got a full third-party samurai-mounted army painted up that I'm going to use someday. So, yeah, I really like the double Dragon Knights. I think that that's the way to go. Uh, the Felbis is nice as well because that gives you gives you options. This one, again, a little bit less flexibility than some of the other mount, mounted options we've got, but that's just the nature of the, the force. But having the magic is quite nice because that still gives you some options. And the cataphracts are interesting because, like, you're actually not that scared of shooting with, with your shield wall. Like, I actually haven't gotten the opportunity to play an, a, um, a cataphract-heavy Eastling Force yet, which is something I really, really, really want to do. 
And from the way I imagine it in my head, it's like you, you're not that worried about shooting at all. Yeah, 100%. It almost always gets into combat fully intact, which no, cavalry armies don't. You normally lose some horses. But this army, when I've played it before, and I haven't played it at this high level, I've played it at lower levels where I haven't had the Kamul and Fel Beasts. I've just had Amdur, the Dragonites, and the Easterling Cataphracts. People shoot at them. But once you've got that, what is it, defense six horses and defense seven warriors riding them, they really have trouble getting through that. And you make it so you have at least one in the way for your, your Dragon Knights and your Amdur. So you've got an Eastling Cataphract in front of them. So if they have to get through that, then they have to get through the high defense. And they've only got a couple turns to do it at most because you've got the war drum as well. So you can shoot around. It, it's, it's one where you can go one way and then change a total different direction and end up behind the enemy. It is incredibly fast and frustrating to, to play against. And that first turn charge, this one does it with the best of them. It doesn't have that shooting flexibility, which you can do if you want to ally in some Khand, but it, it really does does what it does well. It, it's it's impressive to watch this, this shimmering gold Easterling cavalry force that's running around and, and being annoying. Yeah, I like the war drum as well. I think it interacts really well with the cavalry force because this one, this one can go fast like that. That, that mm. does Kamul benefit from it? Yes, yes, yes. That's yeah. a fast fell beast. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> that, is, that is a that is a uh, what is it? Seventeen inches per turn fell beast with like a ludicrously high threat range. I mean, I, I would almost want to put in a captain in there just to add that march on top. So if you really need to do <laughs> like a hard, you know, twenty or twenty inch engage. Uh, no, longer than that. If you if you really need like a twenty five inch engage with Kamul, you know, you go zooming twenty two inches against the across the table, and then a compel for a three inch, or maybe even a five inch on a cavalry model. Like the, the engage potential here is just out of this world. I, I, I got to take points away from you, you know not having the rule of threes for, for the Dragon Knights, but Andrew's close enough to the Dragon Knights that uh, I'll, I'll give a. a a pass on that but i absolutely love kind of this it's, it's almost like the cataphracts are there to buy time for your dragon knights to do work mm. like that's kind of what they're there to do is just be this obnoxious defense seven wall whilst your your three attack behemoths just chop through uh you know your enemy's ar- your, your opponent's army and it, it can do it can do that kind of really funky yeah, really kind of like funky playstyle that you might not expect from uh, an all-cab army. Just on the, the, the upgrade, the whatever it is, the, the glistening horde or uh, whatever, that's mainly for shooting. To pull it off in combat, there's there's only really two times it works. One is if you're like a master of geometry and you set it up so one guy can back into two, or if you have a model that can't back up, so a trapped spearhead model, it's actually really good for. So say Amdur's going in as the point of a spear, I might actually intentionally trap him with two cataphracts, knowing that, that they will prevent the amount of models going in back at him. But also, if he does lose that combat, he gets the, the defense bonus. Oh, maybe maybe it doesn't work on Amdur. I think it does. But that's that's the, the only tactics for it. But it is, is nice to have that high defense. Andrew, you're going to say something very positive about this army, I'm sure. So the one one thing I think you need to be a little bit careful of is I think some of these heroes might be a bit more easily sniped than some of the ones we've had in the previous lists because there isn't that much fate mm. in this army, especially with those two dragon knights. They are a bit more vulnerable than than some of the other things that we looked at. So they, if there is a botch, there is a possibility that possibility that things go wrong fairly quickly. 
Agreed. Uh, um, speed is their best defense against that. They need to be yeah, out of 100%. range of, of nasty stuff. And then, you know how you talked about that one turn where you call the march and, and go in? This one, they've yep. got the war drum. They're doing that every turn. So at, at some point, I maneuver, I, I dance around a little bit, and then I just go full speed. If I'm not going to charge, I, I power up the drum, I, I play a, a mad beat, and I just hoof it into one direction, and then I can just charge the next turn. So it, it's, mm. it's, it's quick. They, they will get a chance to take one of the heroes out. If I lose a hero, if I lose one of the Dragon Knights, I've got some redundancy. It, it, it really does uh, do things decisively. It get, when it gets moving, it gets moving. And what I've found with it is that it just tends to roll over things or it does fall apart, as you just said. If they manage to pull out two of those heroes, then I'm in a bit of trouble. So it, it's like all Cav. You said that at the start. You, you go in, you, you, you dominate, you take off a wave of troops, and then, then you just keep pushing it or you just... Just they blunt your charge, they hit you with the pikes or whatever, and, and you're in trouble. Yep, just a uh, quick uh, rules clarification for you, uh, Jeremy. Uh, the Easterlings do, in fact, uh, get Gleaming Horde on all cavalry models. That includes the uh, Dragonite and Amdur. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect, perfect. And, and the look, captains as well, technically, as well. Yeah, so. and, and if I was going to expand this out, a captain and a, or a war priest... Um, I'll probably go captain, but war priest is a good choice as well. They're they're definitely on the list as well because Eastlings have good heroes. Okay, Kylie, mm-hmm. can you tell us your next list? I'm I'm interested to hear what you've come up with. All right, well, well, I've I've gone for Eastlings, uh, for, like even more far eastern cousins are uh, the Variags of Khan. Now, this is an army that I have I have loved playing with. I always find them a bit of a challenge to play. Uh, this is an army I have ran before. I can't remember which tournament, but I have ran it. I have exactly the right amount of models I need to, to put this on the table. And, you know, it's a, it's a bit of fun to play with. So uh, in Warband 1, we have the Kandish King uh, uh, on chariot with, uh, with, the, with the bows. Uh, I have nine Kandish horsemen, uh, one Kandish character, Charioteer with bow. In one in warband number two, we have a Kandish chieftain uh, on horse, uh, leading ten Kandish horsemen. And finally, in warband number three, we have an allied Kamul the Easterling on Falbeast to add a bit of extra hitting power. So you're talking about six fifty, are you? Six fifty points, yes. And how many models are you you're going for here? Twenty three, is it? Uh, is it 23? I don't have it in my Excel anymore. I've just... Yeah, it looks like 23. Yeah. So good numbers at 650. I noticed in your spreadsheet you gave us once again, I think you're throwing me off the scent here because you've said that the Carnish King has got a chariot and a horse. So maybe it's a three-horse Carnish chariot. Who knows? Maybe you might have some spare points. Maybe I've made a mistake. Hang on a moment. Let me me have a... Yes, I have made a mistake. Uh, Apologies for that. I suppose (laughs) you could... Can we can we squeeze in another chariot here? <laughs> wow, that means that whatever what tournament, what, whatever tournament I took this to, I was playing ten points down. So my opponents just uh, kind of kind of remember that, you know, just a bit of salt in the wound kind of kind of deal. Uh, yes, you could uh, kind of get an extra. Uh, you could uh, drop a. Uh, a single horseman, uh, take that horse that for some reason the Kandish king has got and uh, <laughs> put that Kandish chieftain on a chariot as well. Yep, I like so that. So we'd have, th- we'd have three chariots instead of, uh, instead of um, uh, two. Mm, interesting, interesting carry force. It's, it's got a, a unique place though with the chariots, but it is, it is, meets the criteria even more so than Andrew's one orc. So 
I, I like this. You got Kamul and Felbis. Great minds think alike here because yeah. Kamul and Felbis is such a good ally. Well, no, well, ally for you integrated in my list. Such a good friend of cavalry list because it it's it does everything you want in one package. So it, it's got, mm. and it's one of the the wraiths that has the actual strike as well, which is pretty nasty. When mm. but more more importantly, he's five six. Yep, true. Which is very, very valuable to, to the Khand because they don't have a fight six hero anymore. Yes, the Kings have fight three, uh, sorry, three attacks and fight five, but they don't have that critical critical mm. fight six. So what that means is you they don't can... They have Blaze either, do they? Uh, no, which I really thought was a really cool addition to, the, <laughs> to, their, to their army, but, uh, you know, design team, you know. Yeah, uh, the they're banners, they're there. still good. Yeah, that, the, the fact of the matter is, I, I really love the way the Kandish uh, army play. It's, it's got its different sort of um, uh, charge dynamics where we've, we've kind of talked about um, staying away from um, Khan. Khan loves to go in. They just they want to get in nice and close so that they can get the, the smoosh with the chariots off. And it's really, that's that's the whole list. It's about setting up for that, that charioteer straight in, go in with the chariots and get those impact hits because that's where this army does a lot of its damage is on the impact hits. It doesn't do it on the the Khan's um, uh, kind of glass hat cannon approach uh, that they that you would imagine, you know, um, piercing strike because basically you're piercing striking every time you go in so you, you get to that strength four to, to maximize things. But the downside is you, you cop damage really fast when you receive it. So you really want to be making those chariot charge really impactful. Really want to go in hard with it, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a bit of a fun army to play with. Um, I would recommend anyone who has the money uh, give it a go. <laughs> so I know all cavalry armies are glass cannons, but this is really a glass cannon for glass cannons. Yeah, yeah, it it, 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 it so is, and like that's part of the reason why you need to close really, really quickly because um, your defense four on your horsemen now. Yes, the charioteers um, defense five, and the chariot itself is defense seven. So it's really hard to shoot shoot out the charioteers. But the problem with Khan is people focusing down your horsemen. If they just put bowfire into horsemen, they're gonna just take them off in droves. And that's part of the reason why with Khan, you just kind of want to be marching and getting into your opponent's face as quickly and as rapidly as you are physically able to do because that's how they do the damage. Like you only kind of really use their hundred percent bows and sit back and shoot. If your opponent's shooting is negligible, but the moment your opponent has some legitimate shooting threats, even just a full warband of 12 of like basic Gondorian archers or rangers or something, that's, that's enough that you are going to need to commit to a charge pretty quickly because they can do some serious damage, even with fours to hit and fives to wound. It it, it is brutal, and you need to get in, in quick. Mm. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I like I like the look of that one as well. Uh, I, yeah, I, I was I'm glad you said about the shooting. If they don't have shooting, you've got you've got a great shooting army there. You've got lots of shooting. The nice thing about it is your you, you, um your king can keep shooting his bow as you as you go in as well. Uh, it, it's. I, I think it's a fun army, and it looks really good. You've got a lot of horses in that army, so that's a lot of painting to do. Mm. It's going to look brilliant when it, when you play, but yours yours does anyway. It looks great. Oh, okay. mine's already painted. Mine's yeah. been painted for ages. No, I love, love your card. It looks great. really good. Yeah. 
Now, this this next army I've got, this one's mine. It's 800 points. So your last one was 650, Kylie. Mine is 800. Yes. This is the one that almost started this episode because I've been... Uh, I'm going to let the listeners in on a bit of secret. I haven't been painting a lot of Middle Earth lately, but at the moment now I have just been assembling and getting ready to go through lots and lots of cavalry models. So I've got Dunland, which listeners know I like, and Rohan, which listeners think that I hate, but it's not so much that I hate them. It's just that uh, they've, they've been the golden child a bit of late, and I, I sometimes feel a bit guilty playing with those because I am an experienced player, but there are so many cool scenarios in War of Rohan that I just have to redo my my Rohan force and update it and get lots of more models into it. So I've got so many models here, and I was thinking about how I could run an all-cavalry Isengard army because those... Those Dunlin Horsemen are just beautiful models. They look so nice. So here's my my attempt. Isengard, 800 points. It's not what you think. It's not the the Legendary Legion with um, with Sharku and lots and lots of Wags. It's a mixed arms 800-point force with 31 models, which is a pretty high amount, I've decided now, for Cav. So here's what I've got. I've got Saruman on horse. Brilliant new model, Saruman. That plastic model is just, just lovely. I've got Grima Wormtongue on horse because I have a converted... Well, no, I think it's an unreleased miniature. Uh, proxy for that. But I've got a Grima Wormtongue on a horse as well. And when you take Saruman, you take Grima, of course. Why not? They've got six Warg Riders with Orc Bow, so they can hang around the back if they want, and two Krebane as well. So Krebane are not cavalry, but they are faster than cavalry, and they are... It's If you're going to take Isengard, why not take some birds as well? You've got to take some spies and go and check out the army that way. They actually add a lot to it. They can be your tanks. They can jump around for objectives. They can add a little bit of extra speed. They, they do a lot for cavalry armies. Then Warband 2, I've gone for Thryden Wolfsbane on horse. I would take lots of other Dunland heroes if they could have a horse, but he's the only one that knows how to ride. So he's made it in this force, and he's leading six Dunland horsemen. I would have taken more. They're not very expensive in terms of points, but let's face it, they're four-wheel models. Who's going to ta- buy initially more than six? Well, people I respect are, but not me. So I've got six of them to start with. So Thryden and six Dunland horsemen. Thryden hits pretty hard. He's good for this one. Warband three, Sharku, old classic. Sharku and Warg, a Warg rider with banner. Ding, ding, there it is. Also a shield. And six Warg riders with shield and throwing spears. Throwing spears, we haven't talked about it much just yet. They are so, so handy on cavalry models just to give you more threat. You consider that seven inches and just pepper someone with throwing spears while you're, you're daring them to come at you, and then you hit them with the charge. So Warg riders, pretty solid. Another small warband. Sharku's a, a good hero, and I love his little uh, new rule where if someone tries to uh, attack him and, and doesn't hurt him, he hits, hits him back. That's, that's just good fun. And my final warband, only four this time, which at 800 may be a little bit low. I've gone for an orc captain with the wag and shield and five wag riders with shield and throwing spears. So Sharku Jr., essentially. Not quite as good, but it gives me the march, which is which is nice, and gives me some more Warg Riders. Warg Riders are pretty decent cavalry models. They, they hit pretty hard. They've got the nice strength, and the Warg might show up again. So so once again, Andrew, I'll throw to you. This army, this is the one that, that I'm, I'm most attached to, and I'll be most devastated if you don't like it. No, actually, I don't care. Be critical. What do you think of this Isengard army? Can I play it? Can I, can I win a game with it? it are people going to laugh me off the board when I put it down? So, Jeremy... I love this because what you're doing here is what I've been doing for, for quite a while now. I'm sure you've now found the, the same experience of you look at a list that initially is like, there's no way you can make a cavalry armor out of this. It doesn't have the pieces. And then you start to pull little bits and pieces together until you try and find something that's cohesive. And I think this works because you've actually got a lot of the things the cavalry army wants. You've got some magic. You've got a solid amount of shooting. 
you've got a decent amount of heroes. Um, you actually got some anti-cavalry in there as well, the, the Dunlending Horsemen. I actually quite like this. I, I think this, this would look really cool on the table. I'd love to see this. And it's it's got a solid amount of models, like 31 models for an all-cab army. That's a lot of cab, especially also when you, you take into consideration the fact that, uh, you know, about 40% of your warg riders are going to get reimbursed as a basic warg. Like that, that can be that can be enough to really tilt your opponent and really be frustrating. Like the model count in this army is is surprisingly high. I, I maybe might want to consider um, having a third Crabane in there. I think that would just add a little bit more flexibility and give you a bit more of a hit squad to be able to fly the three terrain off and get your little traps and stuff on particular models. But you know, putting that aside. Um, I really like the way it is. It's got short, threatening range, and it's got it's it's it can overwhelm your opponent, which is the sheer volume of charges. You're basically going right. I don't have the fight value, but damn, am I going to split you up with Saruman and then pick you on one on ones? Because Wog riders excel in one on one combats where they get to charge. That is where they shine the most. Having that strength for the extra attack, the ability to be reimbursed with the throwing throwing spears like oh i mean the only other thing you would want in this list is the throwing spear on the on the orc captain and it's a shame that they can't get (laughs) that option which i I think is absolutely criminal but yeah just 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 really solid all round. and i i i like what you've done with it jeremy i really do i think it's really quirky yay um look uh, neither of you mentioned really grima worm tongue is phenomenal in a cab force yes. because yeah. what you're doing is you're, yes, I don't have all the might in the world like some people do, but I can make Grima position so when they're going to call the, the heroic moves against me, they're always going to have to invest yeah. heavily in it with, with Grima. Yeah, so, you tax them, you tax them, they extra might. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's going to be good. Also, if they're going to try and shoot me, I can put Grima in front of them. Usually I'm going to be outshot by good armies. In that case, Grima attaches himself to an archery warband and waves his hand in front of the captain and says, don't shoot them, don't shoot them, don't shoot them yet, and and just gets in the way and, and saves my guys. So he is an incredible utility piece for whatever it is, 35 points for, for this army. And he adds something that I don't think any other cavalry army has in that ability to to really disrupt the plans in addition to using all the benefits of cavalry. Mm. Yeah. You, it, it's not hard to keep Saruman safe in this force and his utility is amazing and that extra stand fast like that 12 inch stand fast that affects heroes like in this kind of a force that that is exactly what you need because you want to you want to be trying to break up your opponent you want to be trying to get you know small skirmish fights here there and around the board so having a 12 inch stand fast that affects other heroes on Saruman uh including the fact that Thryden has a 12 inch stand fast like you're surprisingly not worried if your army gets break, and it's probably going to break with the amount of models you have, but you're not overly worried about it. And I think that's that's can be can be really really valuable for this kind of an army list. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love the fact that because you have these amazing standfasts and stuff, Grima is is just going to be this this thorn in your opponent's side, and. If you're really, really smart about it too, um, you can, with him being on the horse and you being all cab and that, and with the mobility, like, they're marches. You've got, like, five marches in this army. You can get Grimmer into spots where he can't be targeted by those enemy spellcasters or pull those enemy spellcasters into positions where 
they don't really want to go. And Saruman can take advantage of, of those moments in the game so, so, so readily just because of how potent his spellcraft is and the blasts, the fireballs, the compels. It's, it's every tool you kind of want in a cavalry army. Yeah, so it's something I always want to point out as well. I think the synergy between Saruman, Grima, and Thryden is actually really scary for any hero out there. Um, that is not something pleasant to have to deal with as, as a combination. So I think this army is actually really deceptive because you might look at it and go, at first and go, oh, it's just a hodgepodge of random models, mm. but it's ticking a lot of boxes. One thing I am... Actually, there's two things I want to ask. The first one, Jeremy, um, is there a reason Sharky doesn't have a shield? Uh... Yes, because I forgot to put it on him. Good answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Glad I'm not the only one making mistakes with uh, this composition tonight. Yeah, um, um, I, I, I could actually put that on. Oh, I've actually got a, a second Sharky model. I might like make one without Shield because Shield is almost always the go-to with him. Uh, he doesn't have one in the movie, so that could be a reason. I would be able to find that pretty easily. It's it's either shuffling the Orc Captain's mm-hmm. one if I absolutely have to, or it's uh, drop some some equipment on the Wag Riders yeah. a little bit. I think I think it might be worth dropping uh, two Wag Riders from from basically anywhere, using those extra points to pick up a third Cobain, and then using the the leftover points to give Sharku a shield. Yeah, I can do that. Also, uh, remind my memory: can you take Wild Wags in the Isengard list still, or are they not there anymore? No, yeah, not anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's a number wish, of options. Yeah. You've got leftover points. I wish there was like a little special rule for like Sharku or the Orc Captains, where if they're mounted, you could take Wild Wags in addition to the list, because that would really bolster your numbers a bit too. That could be really handy. Yeah, I do think one thing that this army will have some problems against is a terror-causing army. Mm, yeah, because it, it's... At that point, I'm probably relying a bit on Saruman to to pull things apart one at a time, to, to drag something forward, and and uh, just relying on sheer force of passing some courage tests. I don't think it's as bad as you might initially think because most terror armies like uh black numenorians and army of the dead for instance that are really come to mind uh have the problem of they uh, even angmar honestly too have the problem of they don't have good shooting to really threat you so you can kind of play around it with your throwing spears and with your saruman fireballs and blasts kind of get a bit of chip damage off and stuff and for the good armies that throw terror up with uh, Aura of Dismay, you have Saruman that can basically sit there and go, right, Sorceress Blast, Sorceress Blast, Sorceress Blast, Sorceress Blast. You just kind of keep harassing that hero with Sorceress Blast and Fireballs and just kind of attrition them out so that they eventually drop the Aura of Dismay and they, they just they don't have the resources or anymore to keep it up. I think there are definitely ways you can play around it, especially with compelled me out of like pull models forward and stuff like that. So there, there are some funky stuff you can use to get around it, but it will be tricky. And I think it's something that uh, players would need to practice uh, kind of like if, you, if you're going to take this list. Yeah, I was just thinking about the Wags. I could possibly get them in if I allied a Wag Chieftain in from Moria, uh, losing the army bonus. Oh, no, no, because they're yellow, so that would be a Chieftain level, so it probably wouldn't work anyway. No, don't don't worry about it. Wag Riders are fine. If I want Wags, I'll just dismount and hope that I keep some alive. Uh, yeah, I'm, look, I'm glad that both of you are positive about this one. I thought it, it ticks some boxes, but one of the big worries is, yeah, the fight value is pretty low, but it, it's... I've seen Wag Riders take down heroes. Numbers. Yeah. 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 Just, just throw mm. enough dice, and eventually something's going to happen. One banner may, may be a bit low as well, but 
it is what it is. Like you've got you've got a good amount of numbers. You're going to be throwing a lot of attacks. The throwing weapons will occasionally do something, but more importantly, they'll they'll bait people out of position. And Sauron and Grima and Thrain, they're just going to have fun in this army, doing some assassinations and annoyances. Yeah. Well, like you said, Jeremy, this army is all about breaking out your opponent before you you kind of hit them with the hammer. And you have a fairly redundant hammer. It's not so much that you have one big hammer, although you kind of do have that with Thrain and Sauron Grima combo, but it's more of like you're throwing lots of little hammers at your opponent. Like mm. they don't hit as hard, but it's just the repetitive nature of like, all right, you killed another war grinder. Okay, I've killed another war grinder, and it's like you just keep throwing war riders at your opponent in 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 almost an endless stream of waves. And if you've broken up your opponent's army enough with with Saruman's magic, just the sheer volume of attacks is just going to overwhelm your opponent. No, oh, that's my favorite kind of overwhelming. Yes. Sheer volumes of attacks. Andrew, I, I think I skipped you. Can you go for a list? You've got another one, don't you? Uh, I've got two left, actually. Yeah, give us one of them then. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to leave one to last. That's actually going to touch on a lot of the principles that we were just talking about in this army. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to look at a Rohan list. Now, I wanted to try something a little bit different out there. Cause I think people have seen a lot of Rohan. There's so many different legendary legions out there. Rise of Thaden, Paths of the Druidan, Helm... Uh, Theodred, that can all do cavalry options. But the one I've decided to do today for, for something a little bit different, something a little bit out there, is the Rise of Aima at 750 points, mm. which I believe you both challenged me to bring to the <laughs> tournament at some point as well, yes. I think. Yes, we did. Um, we did. Yes. So I can't take full credit for this one. I've got to pay tribute to John and Andreas up here in New South Wales, um, who came up with the initial idea. But I thought it was just too good not to share. So, so here it is. So in Warband 1, uh, because we have to, we've got Aimer, Marshal the Ridmark with Horse and Shield. In his Warband, we have one Rider of Rohan with Banner. So, Andrew, in how Warband many points two, is this going to be? Uh, 750. 750. Okay, good amount. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Warband 2, we've got Urkenbrand with Horse and four Westfold Red Shields. In Warband 3, we have Gandalf the White on Shadowfax. In Warband 4, we have the Captain of Rohan with Horse, Heavy Armor, Shield and Bow. In Warband 5, we have a Captain of Rohan with Horse, Heavy Armor, Shield and Bow. And Warband 6, you guessed it, we have Captain of Rohan with Horse, Heavy Armor, Shield and Bow. Ooh, Rule of Threes, I'm marking this already. Mm-hmm. I like so, that you've managed to get Captains in there and make them predominant. That's, that's oh, bringing Captains back, Andrew. Yeah, so uh, I think Carly might have just realized something. Ah, uh, yeah. You have a very interesting breakpoint um, due to your finagling of heroes and the amount of warriors you have. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there, there's a number of things that we've got going on here. We've got a total of 11 models. Mm. There are six heroes. If you kill all the warriors, you're still going to have to kill at least one of the heroes. Now, the army bonus for the Riders of Aima is... On one turn at the start of any friendly move phase, you can declare that the sun is rising, and all models in combat that turn have a minus one to their dual rolls. So effectively, they're under the you're fighting with a shade for one turn. Mm. Yeah, you have six heroes. Imagine if they all call a heroic combat on that turn. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I thought that that might have been the case. I had to. I, I was waiting because I'm like. I can't quite remember what the Riders of Aim is, like, special rule is. I, I'm just going to wait for, for Andrew to, like, just refresh my memory. But now that you mention it, I'm like, oh, oh, I see what this army does. I see what this army does. Because you got Gandalf with Blinding Light, you basically can sit back and just kind of pepper 
with pepper your opponent with impunity, like just not care because like who's gonna who's gonna really do any significant damage to you when you've got horse lord on your models and you got Gandalf on Shatterfax who has one of the most unkillable horses in the game, and it's, it, you just kind of sit there, pepper, wait for the opportune moment to kind of present itself, and then just go in and just go ham. And then, you know, pop, 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 the sun is rising, go in, charge, get the mass combats off, and then just, you know, kind of just punish your opponent. And I assume you're going to put axes on all those captains of Rohan too yeah, to really, <laughs> um, re- really push that, 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 that damage potential in the chain you go in. And it's interesting. I like it. I really like it, especially uh, because you're able to buy time for Gandalf to kind of wind up we always talk about Gandalf um having this kind of wind up time he takes a lot of um you need to kind of spend a few turns to get his passives up so his terrifying aura his blinding light you know get a couple of uh strength and wills out on some some otherwise vulnerable uh heroes in your force and then once you've got those up you can start going nuts with the blasts and I think this is the kind of army that really allows Gandalf that time to kind of wind up and build up his presence on the table and really get his job done as like this semi-ranged support option that can deal out some damage. Because let's be honest, uh, uh, even just a free dice every turn of Gandalf going, you know, Sorcerer's Blast into your night is going to get really annoying and it's going to do some serious chip damage as well to uh, your opponents here as well as uh, throwing down a bit of crowd control. Yeah, I will say, like, this army is not perfect. Like, it's the lowest model count uh, proportionally for points of any of the ones that we looked at so far. So if it doesn't work, then, well, you're going to be in trouble. But, yeah, I think I think just the appeal of that one turn just sounds so glorious. It, it's it's the stuff legends are made of, isn't it? Like, the idea that, that you're going to go on that big charge as well. And and what I like about this is it's a Rohan army that I feel like has to work for its its Rohan special abilities. Sometimes... They almost get them for too little effort. This is—I don't think it's a, as good as the like the Riders of Thaden, but it looks to me—it's more appealing to me personally, and I think maybe it is to you mm. as well. In that, to get it working, you've got a real machine together. You've got the the Gandalf the White can do pretty much everything, but using him correctly is going to be a challenge. Erkenbrand uh, and the Captains can hit hard, but they're not—they're not even mid-level heroes. They're on that lower to mid-level hero. Mark, AM is a machine, he's great, but you don't have that same like hitting power that we've had in some of them across the board, just that raw energy, but with that combination, that special rule for a turn, the fact that you've got enough shooting to be able to say, well, any any other mounted heroes will be on foot by the time I hit them, you can set up for that charge of Gandalf, compel someone into a certain area, and then just go all in and just guarantee you're going to kill that one hero, and then heroic combat off it to get to the rest of the force is going to be going to be something that's worth mm. looking at and i actually think you could pull this off andrew you've definitely got the skill to be able to use it yeah that's the thing it'll put it at some point i'm sure oh i i, I like these all these are all really good kylie can I, we go to your last list uh, oh you yeah, just have to say first i just got one last thing i lo- actually love how you've taken kind of our thoughts about the list like when we first saw this list we were basically like all right you basically go gandalf amy and then spam riders <laughs> and then try and outshoot your opponent and you've gone in the complete opposite direction of like no 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 bare budget riders and then just spam out captors and, and and win that way and i love i love the fact that you've you've taken uh the the kind of way we thought we, you would play the list and gone in the complete opposite direction and i i think that's really creative and really kind of shows off the game and how you create that army lists yeah thanks 
I also think this version will be a bit more fun to play for both sides. Agreed. Mm. Agreed. I think I, I, you don't mind getting beaten by this force because it's not like the, the gambling superpower. Everyone calls it heroic combat in one turn. My warriors have fight five for some reason. That sort of army. It's it's not that. It's got weaknesses, but it's got the, the skill to be able to... Well, it's got the ability to take you out. Whether it can, can do that is, is up to the skill of the player. Kyle, you've got one more list, don't you? I, I do, and th- this is an 800, uh, no, 750 point list. I'm a bit, honestly, I don't know how to feel about it. It's probably not my best work, but I was I was looking at the Harad list and going, oh, do I run the Moomak with the guy? I'm like, we've kind of done that on the Green Dragon many, 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 many times before. Mm. Uh, just running like the, the Moomak with, with the, as uh, I think David Little calls it, the, the UFOs around the mothership uh, kind of thing. So I, I went for something a little bit different. In hindsight, after looking at the list, I think it'd probably be better off with the betrayer on horse and just running more dudes. But you know, we'll get we'll get into that as we go into it. So in Warbound One, we have Solidarm, the Serpent Lord on Armored Horse with Bow. Uh, he is leading four Haradrim Raiders with Bow and Warspear. Uh, one Haradrim Raider with Banner and Bow. He has also four Serpent Riders in his Warband for a total of nine models in his Warband. In Warband number two, we have the Betrayer on Felbeast with four Haradrim Raiders with Bow and Warspear and four Serpent Riders. Finally, in Warband number three, we have a Mahud King on Camel with Blowpipe, Shield and Warspear and six Mahud Raiders with Blowpipe and Warspear. I've also had a few points left over, so I decided to give the Mahud Raiders a weapon swap option. So they all have the option to use clubs as well for a bit of extra surprise CC. If uh, there's ever a point in the game where they get kind of countercharged by an enemy foul beast or big hero and stuff, and you're like, well, these guys dead, and on the off chance I win the combat, you know what? I'm going to stun you instead. So, you know, bit, just a bit of fun there. Uh, what do you guys think? So, despite. By the fact that this doesn't have as many heroes as some of the other lists we've got at, this actually one has one of the highest clean powers out of all of them, with between the poison and lances and the betrayer special rule. It, uh, if it wins fights, it kills whatever it's fighting more or less. Yeah. But also the the hits of the the Mahud Raiders, like don't don't yeah. They, they hit. They they are they are cavalry that hit like anything because you've got that impaler hit that you can go in and kill things before you've even gone to combat. Mm. Yeah. Honestly, when, when I wrote this list, I actually when I when I kind of finished it and finalized it, I'm like, it's not quite what I was looking for. And then after kind of thinking about it, yes, the Falvis provides a lot of uh, threat and and dive potential, but the Betrayer isn't that kind of rafe anymore because he doesn't have the strike. And I'm actually thinking that dropping the Betrayer down to a uh, Betrayer on horse. And then kind of using those extra three points to pick up, say, another three Mahud Raiders and really kind of bump that camel point up. Because I think camels en masse, and I, I run them in a mixed arms force, a pure Mahad force, and I run nine of them. They are yeah. absolutely phenomenal. Mm. They they always surprise my opponent with how much damage they can dish out because the damage isn't the damage is front loaded. It's not it's not combats that where they deal their damage, their damage is dealt when they charge. And those impaler hits, being able to just break up your opponent's line and do damage outside of the combat phase, and that's kind of the hallmark of this list, is it does damage outside of the combat phase. It, it shoots you with poison weapons uh, from the blood pipes and the bows, and then it hits you with impaler on the charging. So you can get a lot of initial gains from the shooting war before you really have to commit... Um, the rest of your resources from your strikes and your your spells. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that'd be the right call to drop the betrayer and get those extra ones in there. Um, I actually have a question about that. I don't know the answer to this. Do the Mahud's poison stuff benefit from the betrayer as well? Yes. It's anything that's, nice. that's, that's good. Yeah. Is anything that's poisoned, uh, poison, uh, has the poison arrows, darts, or whatever? I'm 99% sure. I've just got the, uh, the, the, the um, rule book open now. Now, Kylie, before you do that, there, before but... you do that, can I just, I, I don't think you've freaked, freaked out enough on this episode. So I've just got something for you that may, may, may blow your mind a little bit. Now, you've paid extra points for the, the Mahood Raiders. You want to swap their hand weapons for clubs, is that right? Uh, just, just as I, I just kind of just see where this is going. I, now, 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 I had Kylie, six points left. I look, yeah. I, I like that idea. I like the way you think because clubs are such a thematic weapon for Mahood. And you know what? That's why the Mahood already come with clubs. So you've you've paid oh, the point. You swapped your club for a club. That is their hand weapon. It is a club. <laughs> oh, Trey is making business on the side. Oh. <laughs> um. In that case, take those six clubs that I gave to the Mahood Raiders, and you know what? Those extra clubs they brought, they're going to dish them out to the Haradrim Raiders. So uh, <laughs> give those extra points out to the Haradrim Raiders with poison, uh, with, with the war spear, and they can have some extra points because uh, it's hard to find an extra five points in the list. But um, honestly, re- being reimbursed those points, I'm actually going to jump up my my spreadsheet while you guys uh, keep uh, <laughs> having a chat here and see what I can do with those extra points from the betrayer and stuff. Because uh, honestly, I think I think this list has a bit of hidden potential. It's not hidden. In it's it's in plain sight. This, this okay. Well, plain sight potential because I'm, I have been. I I love Mahood. It's it's one, they're one of my favorite armies to play because because of the way the, the Impaler special mm. rule works. And it's one of my favorite special rules. The Impaler special rule because it changes the way you deal damage to your opponent. And not everyone uh, thinks about how how your army deals damage. Right, and that's part of the reason why I absolutely uh, love the um, the the cow, the the the, the great beast. Not so much the mimic; I think it takes it too too far and extreme. Um, but I love the chariots and stuff because it changes the way you have to think about how you're you're charging and how you're engaging. And like uh, Andrew said, that the 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 first turn charge is really important. But for these guys, it, it almost hits another level because you get so much bang for your buck from your charge. You get your lance bonus, you get your impala bonus. So being able to set up and get these uh, impact hits and get these extra extra power fr- from your charge, I think is, is super, super, super important and can be vital and change the way your opponent reacts to you. It has to move around you. Suddenly they might give grounds when they might have otherwise run forward because they're, they're really scared of taking, you know, nine Impala hits to the face. I like the the empower. Um, Kylie, while you let uh, Andrew and I talk amongst ourselves while you do your list, which didn't actually eventuate because you, you end up saying lots of stuff, I've just got some suggestions as well. You've got Saladin in a warband with a Harajan Raider and a banner. Now, Saladin's already got a six-inch banner attached to him. so Oh, I, yeah, he does, doesn't he? I would drop the banner into the second warband with the Betrayer. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, totally. Totally, totally. Because, I, I, like... The Harad side of like kind of the, the 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 southern realms is not where I'm kind of at. I'm kind of more of a I'm a HUD girl, so I'm kind of I know I know what they can do pretty damn well, but especially the, the clubs the, apparently. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, evidently. But I've just I just kind of finished up uh, tinkering uh, with the list, and I've got the got the Betrayal horse. So I'll just quickly read out kind of a, a bit of a retool list, bit of a bit of a tweak. We got the spanner out and uh, fixing things up. So what about one? one. Yeah, well, version 1.1. 1. 1. So we've got Solidarn uh, still on horse with bow, four Horizon Raiders with bow and spear, four Serpent Riders, Warband 2 is just the Betrayer on horse, 
four Haradrim Raiders uh, with bow and spear, one Haradrim Raider with banner and bow, four Serpent Riders, and then in Warband 3, the Muhud King with eight uh, Mahad Raiders with the uh, spear and uh, uh, blowpipe. And no swap weapons. No swap weapons. I, I like that. This this is a totally new tactic of swapping a club for a club. I think that's going to blow your opponent's <laughs> mind. But I, look, I like it. I like it. It's it's. Look, I think Herod does really really good all cav armies because you've got that shooting threat and you hit really hard with pretty much poison uh, poison or lances or both. I don't yeah. think they are poison for all of them, but they, they just hit so hard. And Saladin is just a, a, such a good value hero. It's He's almost up there with like that Boromir on horse cheapness. So like you pay that just over 100 points for a hero that just seems to be way more than the sum of his parts. It's just having a six-inch banner and everything you want for such a low points cost is so good. And I really rate the Serpent Riders. They they are some of the best cavalry models around because they cost nothing mm. and they hit it fight mm. four with a lance and, and just, just do what you want to do with them. Just a couple of little things to point out. So the army bonus for, for um, Harad, uh, your raiders are going to get poisoned on their war spears as well. Oh, so perfect. all your lances are going to poison, which is, yeah, that's that's really, really nice. Uh, yeah, and like you said, it's all lands really good because it's also got a 12-inch stamp fast. Quite handy as well. Yeah, the betrayer does affect them too. It affects all poison weapons. So that's poison war spears, poison arrows, poison blades, and poison darts. So you've got a lot of bang for your buck there. Yeah, a lot of bang for your buck. Like Soladan has so much damage potential. Like being able to, he's basically a hasher on horse at this point. Yeah, um, and that's also <laughs> this is also why I think it's worthwhile dropping from the horse because I think you're going to be spending a significant amount of will just buffing all your guys to uh, give them all the poison rebels. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I think that's like after I read the list out, I like everything kind of like the synapses decided at that point to actually fire. I went, oh, hang on, hang on. There, there is way more ways to optimize this list. I I can get an extra three Mahud Raiders in this list. I can get you know way more value out of Betrayer on Horse from from the will. And it was just kind of that that moment of like, oh. Oh, this list can do some really funky stuff. So yeah, when we, when we post them up, you, you guys will see that. Yeah, it's just mm. you get so much more out of it. Yeah. Something I do want to point out, I think, is just like the weakness of Harad in general is we are low on the defense here. So everything is kind of defense four, defense five. Mm. So you are somewhat vulnerable potentially to, to heavy shooting armies if they got shooting capability of their own. And if you do fluff in combat, sometimes it can go pear shaped pretty fast. But but that but that said as well, most of those kind of heavy shooting armies that actually you know provide a lot of bow fire, like you know we're talking like the the Athelian Rangers, you know Mirkwood uh, Mirkwood Rangers, uh, you know to to an extent shooting wall, Late Town or Rivendell or stuff like that. The archers are low enough defense that if when you actually close and, and if you actually get into them fairly rapidly. One impaler charge can absolutely wreck them. Like I, I have seen my impalers basically knock out an entire warband in a single turn. You know, they, they they charge in, they do so much damage off the 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 initial strength four hit because it's winning on fours, and then clean up because they're no longer in two on ones or in one on ones, and just completely evaporate a flake within one or two turns. And it can be a pretty potent, especially when you've got in this list nine Mahood raiders and a king. Like, you can lose a couple of raiders and still hit like a truck when you go in. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's, yeah, that's, that's going to be the scary. play. It's going to be glass cannon. Yeah, you but you've got to like embrace it. it with Harrod. That's that's what they yeah, are. Yeah, that's they're, 100%. You've got to. 
you you yeah. you are trading your defense for pure hitting power, and it's worth it because it's it's that, that if you don't let them do hitting, you'll lose. But if you let them hit, they will do their job. They'll do it really well. Now, Andrew, I'm really curious about your finalists because I'm sure you got some sort of surprise for us. What's your points level, and what have you gone for? So the final one, um, I have to acknowledge it was influenced by a list that someone ran here to rather great success, but me being me, I put my own cavalry spin on it. Yeah, Um, I've been been waiting for this, Andrew. I've been waiting for this. So this is a list that I'm currently running at the New South South Wales Masters that are currently going on, and it's been pretty successful. Uh, So we are looking at 750 points of Angmar. So... In Warband 1, we have the Wish King of Angmar with the Crown of Morgul and Horse. He's got 3 Might, 14 Wheel, 2 Fate. In his Warband, we have 6 Angmar Warg Riders with Throwing Spears and Shield, 1 Angmar Warg Rider with Orc Bow, 1 Angmar Warg Rider with Banner, Throwing Spears and Shield, and a Dead Knife Spectre. Sorry, Jeremy, I broke your rule again. You just In don't Warband follow any rules, two, Andrew. <laughs> we have Gulvar, the Terror of Arnor. In his Warband, he also has 6 Warg Riders with Throwing Spears and Shield, 1 with a Bow, and a Deadmar Spectre. And then in Warband 3, we have an Orc Captain with Wagon Shield. Again, six Wag Riders with Throwing Spears and Shield, one Wag Rider with a Bow, and one Wild Wag. So that's 750 points and 28 models. So, Kylie, I'm going to say something first about this because I know that, that you could go on for an hour about this list because oh, yeah. I'm sure you're saying things. This has. So, the, the, I had my Wag Riders, correct me if I'm wrong, but they get the terror when they're near a spirit, don't they? Correct. Yeah. Because now, they have the who are the spirits in this army? You've got the Witch King, you've got Gulliver. Uh, are the Dead Marsh right. Spectres count? No, they've got to be heroes. No, it's they? totally heroes. So the terror is enacted between those guys. So it's not as much terror as it initially looks like, but it's enough that you've got, like, the Witch King and a bunch of Wag Riders could make a little terror wall if they want to. You could do it with Gulliver if you want. I'm yeah. of the opinion that Gulliver is probably one of the top three models in the game. It just, it's so, so, so powerful and so good. And I think the only reason that it's not really that is that it looks like a glass cannon. I don't actually think it is, but it looks like a glass cannon and it's very hard to find the model now. I think that's one that you'd show up more. I love Wag Riders. Wag Riders with the potential for terror is just like a dream come true. Deadmarsh Spectres, I'm going to I'm gonna allow because they're just really cool models. They're, they're, in, they're, they're integral to, to the list and... I'm, I'm surprised you only have two Dead March Spectres, and I'm, I'm curious to see if, if that's enough for you. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be picking your brain for it. The good part of, I think, 15 minutes, of it, so be, be ready for that, Andrew. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. But I absolutely love the fact, because like, I think the Terra, it might seem like there's not as many generation effects, but Gulliver being on that single base actually provides a lot of Terra for your War Griders, simply because he's, yep. he has such good surface area. Uh, for, for that three-inch bubble. So you're actually picking it up a bit more than you would expect to. I love the fact that you have a handful of honesty bows in there just to keep your opponent honest on their, on their horses. I'm curious as to why the Witch King's resources are a bit low. I would have liked to see a, a couple of extra points of will, maybe an extra fate point or the blade. And I'm curious as to why you opted not for the blade. So my rationale behind that is kind of the way the list is working as a whole. It's got a lot of models for... Uh, 750 points cavalry. It's got 28. And like we were talking before about Wag Riders, they are deceptively tanky. It's going to take you a very long time to break between A, Terror, and B, the fact that your Wags are going to stick around. So this army actually takes a really, really long time to, to break. 
So I thought increasing the model count was actually worthwhile because then you can actually grind away. You have lots of ways of cavalry yeah. charges as well, and they're all at strength four, and they all have throwing spears. Yeah. I was just thinking the Morgan Blade is, is a really solid choice. I agree with you, Kylie, on that one, but you've got tools to do the killing. Like, Wagriders hit really hard, cavalry models. Gulliver hits as hard as anything in the game really, really well. And if, uh, if Andrew's saying he's playing a many-turn game with this army, which it's very different to the way you played it. You played a little infantry tank with the, the two heroes. This looks like everything is a threat to kill heroes. Like every single model, put a mm. Witch King transfix a hero and throw a Wag Rider into them, and, and you're, you're laughing. It's potentially a dead hero. So I, yeah. um, I, I'm... This this looks to me as someone who's not oh. as big an Angmar fan as you two. It looks really really scary to play against. In that, Kyle, your Angmar army at least I had a chance to pin it in place. This army, I'm not backing myself to pin this in place. It's going so fast, oh. nothing moves slow. And when I finally yeah. get there, I'm getting hit by Gulivar as a counter charge. What do I do against this army? I'm 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 worried. This one this one looks really threatening to me, and I'm sort of glad we're locked away from New South Wales for the Masters for this year, Andrew, because I don't know what I'm going to do against this army. I, I think my army that I was planning on taking to Masters, because I was actually planning on taking a old-school uh, Galadrim uh, Wood Elf kind of sentinel stuff, so I think I would have had some tools to... to I would have loved to have a game against this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't trying to, like, hard counter you or anything. That's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. what I have on the painting table <laughs> at the moment. But, like, looking at this list, like, I'm going to be straight up. This is this is making me want to like jump onto uh, GW right now and order three boxes of, of Wild Grace. And honestly, <laughs> I'm probably going to at some point because like, Ang- Angmar is my jam. Like they, as as Jeremy said, like Gulliver is one of the top three models in the game. And I think the 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 the, the reason why Gulliver and Angmar are so great is because they've got probably one of the other top three models in the game in the the Barrowite and have one of the the best spellcasters in the game in the Witch King in there. And I love I love the fact that you've you've melded together kind of what's so threatening about Angmar and given it unparalleled mobility. Like you've got marches in there. So you have if you're up against a shooting army, you have hyper engaged. Like you can just go march 17 inches plus compel 20 inch charge range, go for your life. And and you still get to throw throwing spears on top of that, so you might get a, an extra pick or two. So you're not really worried about like those wood elf or ranger uh, annoying, threatening armies that they can be out there. And I really, really love the way this list can engage. The one question I have so far, and uh, kind of like harkening back to my previous point, is: Do you find that two specters is enough manipulation mechanics to actually engage effectively? Because I've always run by the rule of one dead right. specter per 250 points for Angmar, and I'm surprised you've only gone for two. And I'm wondering if it's enough for this orc have army. Yep. So part of the rationale for that is I think you got, unlike most infantry armies, you've got the time to work with to try and get the points. Okay. So like that's not as great a concern for me. Like if I don't get a first, oh that's okay, I'm out of range. I'll try again next ten. Oh, I'll keep throwing okay. stuff in the meantime. What about what I about like stuff I got the time? What about stuff that could pick up the the the, the marsh specters? Because honestly, if, if I've got damage dealing spellcasters like a a black dart or a sorceress blast or even a legolas, I, I'm throwing every resource I have into knocking out those those bloody those dead marsh specters as as soon as possible. Yep, that's fair. Normally, I'm keeping them as safe as I can as well. And if someone is pulling their things forward, that generally means that I'm in range of them to do shenanigans with them at the same time. Yeah, so I'm, I'm viewing that as the as the trade off. 
And yeah, like, like you said, expressions are so good because like in this army as well, they skill forward, do the stuff, and then they, they run back and they hold the objective. And if they're not near anyone, that doesn't matter because their courage is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm just, I'm utterly fascinated by by how you've designed this list. And I think I admit my own personal tweets when I eventually, because I'm just, I'm just going to straight up throw it out there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm running this list at some point. Um, it's just a matter of when. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely love what you've 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 done with it, and just kind of like, do, do you find that the throwing spears are actually providing good ranged uh, threat potential? Like, because I think yep. you're like seven, it's eighteen in there, eighteen, eighteen. 18. It's, it's a lot. Like, it's enough that the, the weight of dice is going to do something for you. Just the the psychological threat of them as well is is fantastic. Yeah, I, I really like this list. If I think I'm going to go about a limb. I think it's the best list I've ever written. I, I, I love it. I, I think it ticks every wow. box that a cavalry army has. It's got a flying monster. It's got magic. It's got shooting. It's got terror. It's got maneuverability everywhere. It's got march. It's yeah. got model counts as well. Just wait till you get a legendary legion of Agmar and you get a whole bunch of army bonuses in addition. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have, I have a one kind of might be two questions left, but I've definitely got one question I want to answer. How, how are you using Gulliver in this army? Is he is he is he running it as an assassin, or is he kind of doing kind of like what I how I was playing him against uh, sort of uh, Jay and uh, um, Masters uh, last year as kind of a, a DPS dealer, just going in trying to get as many kills as possible, you know, getting three people model charges and just DPS, you know, DPS, yeah. Okay. DPS, yeah, yeah. Like you know, if, if the options there to assassinate, yeah, sure. But I think the the original goal is is DPS. What's so DPS mean? Uh, damage, damage per, per second. second. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's. I guess it's a video game turn, which you've got to translate. We can say DPT damage per turn. So you're literally just killing as many models as you can with with yeah. and not worrying about the target. Not saying I'm going to do a pinpoint assassination attempt on Gambling. I'm just going to run in and just kill four yep. riders uh, this turn. I'm going to kill yeah. two next uh, turn, and I'm just going to put so much pressure on you. And if I lose Gulliver, who cares? Yep. Unless, of course, you know, we've got the situations that we talked about earlier where there's key linchpin models that are really dangerous for cavalry that you need to try and deal with, then you might yeah. alternate his role. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I think it's DPT. Yeah. The, mm. the, the next question, the next question I have, and I think I think I'll, I'll leave this as my final question because I'm I'm eating up. I know I'm real. I'm realizing I'm eating up a lot of time with this list. How are you dealing with? your opponent's uh, resources, does this list have enough time to be able to, you know, use, you know, one dice Witch King harasses to kind of, you know, throw black darts and, and threaten with compels and stuff and engages with Gulliver? Because Gulliver is, is really reliant on your opponent having no might, no resources to really, really shine. Like, part of Angmar's strategy is enabling Gulliver those opportunities by taking away those resources. How is this list kind of enabling you to be able to like remove those resources or is it using another kind of tactic or, or kind of paradigm shift to be able to en- enable global because i'm really curious as to how you how you're making him shine yeah so the key to that is you're you're playing the tactics of a cavalry army you're looking to maneuver you're looking to spread your opponent out you're looking for them to misposition in some way where you can slam a part of the army without response so yeah it's effectively the same principles used for any cavalry force really actually Okay. Yeah, right. makes Absolutely. makes total sense to me, Kylie. That that's Gulliver would shine in that because Gulliver you can hold back. You don't have to go like DPS or DPT or whatever you, you said before because 
uh, that will basically enable you to take out any stray characters where the, the Warg riders will happily take out stray infantry. So you've got that threat. If you want to hold Gulliver back, you could just threaten the charge, go all in with the cavalry and just push forward and then, then pick out what you want to later on. Uh, you don't, like the resources, a lot of it will be spent trying to chase down this army. So if I'm playing against this army, I'm probably going to be doing some marches. I'm probably going to be doing some heroic co- uh, moves. I'm probably going to be trying to get in its face if I can, because uh, unless I've got a super powerful shooting army and it's going to come at me, I- I'm going to have to hunt this thing down because it's going to be be picking me apart piecemeal. So that's where the, a lot of the resources will go. will just be on the effort and engaging. And then Gulliver can can have its way with with the army. So look, that's we talked a long time about this army list, mm-hmm. Andrew. Um, I, I wish you luck with it. Uh, we have to get you back on to see how it goes because it does look, it looks really scary. It looks like uh, the kind I, of army. Honestly, you... honestly, I'm going to be absolutely shocked if you don't win masters with this list. It's gone six and zero so far. Yeah, oh, yeah. Look, I, Andrew's going to win I'm anyway because skill. But <laughs> this army does help quite a bit, and and it, yeah. it it's definitely your army. Like it, it plays in the way that, that you're uh, used to. A plus S rank, whatever you want to call it, I. This list has, has just like kind of opened my eyes and like 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 kind of like what I said before like it's gonna make me go out of my way and purchase another eighteen wargriders so I can run it. So good. I'm um, join us in all cavalry. We have cookies. Yeah, but just um just be careful, you two, because this this potentially can be a negative play because it's got the answers for everything. So just be very careful. I would I would masters absolutely. Don't do Kylie's thing where we she played it for six months in in training to to get used to it. Because to, it to, to be too fair, that <laughs> was to go play in an international tournament. I of know, arguably the highest caliber in the world. Okay, like I'm not going to do this on a on a on a kind of a a, a back burner project that that I want to kind of. I know Kylie. With. Yeah, this is a tournament army. But yeah. let's and, let's face yeah. it, how high a caliber could it be without Andrew and I? Oh. Yeah, okay. Okay, so my, my last army, a thousand points. So I've gone I'm on the biggest cavalry army. No one hit a thousand, did they? Everyone's like little wussy five hundreds and seven fifties and eight hundreds. I've gone for a thousand. I'm going all in here and I've gone for well, one of my favorites, the old triumvirate of um the the Azog's Legion, Azog's Hunter, and I I've tweaked it a little bit while you you guys were, were waxing lyrical about Angmar because I thought, well, I've got to up this power to, to even have a chance against this ridiculous army. So I've gone for, for my all-cav army, I've gone for Azog with the White Warg from the Legion list. So it's got uh, a Hunter Orc on Felwag with a banner, two Hunter Orcs with Felwag, and a Felwag. So just a, a little skirmishy cavalry unit. The reason he's in the Legion list is so he gets the, the extra free heroics. So nothing master battle, master battle. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So, so the worst thing you go up and strike against Azog, and he just turns around and says, "Cool, I strike back at you with my base fight seven. Ha ha ha! And and watch all the the Rohan players complain that how dare something have a higher fight value than Rohan? It's not fair. Evil models must all be lower. Anyway, so now the next warbands are all from the hunters list, so they get uh, extra bow fire essentially. So they get extra bows allowance extra hit values with them and they they do potentially more damage because Bolg's got uh, a Felwag and an Orc Bow in my next warband with 200 Orcs of Felwag, 200 Orcs of Orc Bow and Felwag and a Hunter Orc with an Orc Bow, Felwag and my secret weapon, the Warhorn, as well as a Felwag. So I've got the Warhorn in, Kylie. You'll be happy with that. Warband 3. Warband 3. Fimble. Fimble's fantastic. Fimble is uh, a cavalry model that can go through difficult terrain. And it's fight five. He's so good. Fimble the Hunter with Felwag, 200 Orcs with Felwag, 200 Orcs with Orc Bow Felwag, and a Felwag. And then 
Uh, so they're all pretty similar with just the Falwar combinations and things afterwards. Warband 4 is Nazog. So Nazog is the, the sniper. He's also decent at combat, but he can shoot things out if he needs to. He's got extra might to use on shooting. He's got a Hunter Orc of Falwag, three Hunter Orcs with Orc Bow Falwag, so extra Bowman because that's nice and themey, and a Falwag. They've all got a Falwag just, just in case someone loses their Wag, they can jump on. I know they can't in-game, but think of it as a theme anyway. And finally, Warband 5 has Yazneg. So Yazneg's the one that Azor can rip his head off if things are going bad. Yazneg with Falwag, a Hunter Orc with Falwag, uh, three Hunter Orcs with Orc Bow Falwag, and a Falwag. Yaznik's also got a lance, so he hits pretty hard as well. He has strike too, doesn't he? Uh, I believe so. I think there's some strike around. I have to have to check that up a bit yeah, later. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at yeah, 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 strike. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's it's uh, what am I? I've got thirty models all up. Five warbands of well, close to close to six models per warband. I think one is slightly more, one slightly less. But I think it's uh, with five heroes and two of them with the potential of Azog and Bolg, you've got some really powerful hitting heroes and a bit of redundancy there. The other heroes are no slouches as well. And this army is unique amongst all our cavalry army in that I can hit you at full speed, full power, full ability from behind a wall where you can't even see me coming. That's how sneaky I am. So this one, I know, Andrew, you mentioned in our little chat beforehand that that Azox Hunters may not be the best Orc have army. Have I changed your mind here, or are you just going to say, that's rubbish, you can't play this? I'm not going to lie. I actually feel like this is a bit of a missed opportunity. Ooh, what's There's, that? I think, a couple things that I would like to see. For one, I think Mercenaries would have actually been really interesting as a combination with this list. It breaks my rules. Um, I always... <laughs> okay. It, it sure. does, but, but, uh, I, I disagree. I disagree. Rule of cool. Because you said you... Said you are... Any any model that you take has to keep up with cavalry, and I'd argue that being able to deep strike nearly anywhere on the table allows you to keep up. Fine, because you you, you you've gotten there. You, you can get there before the cavalry. Okay, so I've been out, outnumbered on that. Fine, so goblin mercenaries, I can absolutely uh, see something that. else. I'd like to add to that as well is uh, on that theme of keeping up. I wouldn't mind seeing either some some berserkers or a warbat somewhere. Yeah, yeah, fair call. And and because I've got the Azog in the Legion, that would easily be able to fit in his warband as well. Yep. yep, yep. No, that's fair call. You may have to drop um like Yazneg or Nazul though, I think, to pick up those bats simply because like you're not just gonna pick up one bat. You you want a couple couple of them to really get some some, yeah. some use out of them. So I think you'd be dropping a hero going down to four heroes, which is not terrible. But I don't know, I, I just I like the idea of the five hero, the five, the, or rather the four hero charge with uh, Nazog sitting behind them, ready to to call the the heart move for next turn. I really love that kind of imagery, and I think this is also one of the kind of lists where Bolg is really going to get to ten kills. Honestly, I ca- I cannot see this list at a thousand points. Bolg not getting to ten kills. Normally, I play Bolg like not conservatively, but, but yeah, I protect we've been him a lot as well on this holiday of Wag Riders as well. Yeah, yeah, lots well, of Wag Riders. And a horn as well. So the wag riders are more likely to hang around if the, the hunters die. And if, the, if I dismount, the hunters are actually pretty good on foot and the wag, foul wags are okay. So I've got a bit of flexibility here. Yeah, it's it, you get reimbursed and stuff. And there's like there's a great taxi system that you can do with this as well. Um, the dismounting trick can really catch your opponent off guard, especially since you have two attacks on foot. I actually I actually don't mind. I, I think... Um, I think uh, uh, Andrew is right. A couple of good and would be really, really useful just to add some pinpoint pressure um, with their, you know, their, their higher fight, uh, 
you know, Andrew's talking about always about how, how important the five value is, but having a couple of extra fight four just, just mm. spattered in and amongst, especially because they're on that small base, so you'll be able to easily maneuver them in between your cavalry models, I think will be very, very valuable. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, look, I, you, you, I love the the Berserkers. They're, they're fantastic. So they could definitely play a role here. The other one I was thinking of is maybe um, sneak some some spiders in, although I have to take something from the, the Necromancer list, the Dol Guldor, but that could also keep up as well. The Merkwood Spiders and the Paralyzed could be pretty nasty as well. Isn't Azog in the Dol Guldor list? No, but you could take a um, an Orc Captain on Felwag, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, you could take a Hunter Orc on Felwag, yeah. Yep, so there's, there's actually some flexibility here. I could easily expand it out to 2,000 points. <laughs> oh, Jeremy! <laughs> that's that's my aim. I want to get all my cavalry forces to two thousand and just be really silly. I think it's, it will look spectacular. <laughs> the spiderwebs. If you do, do it, Jeremy, I'll bring a list to verse you. Done, done. It's a date. I can definitely do this to two thousand. Oh God, this list versus uh, Rivendell Knights. Could you imagine the amount of models on the table? No, oh, I didn't agree to Rivendell Knights. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what you're gonna get. Yeah, I don't right have on. that many yet. Well, imagine a imagine a imagine a full like uh like charge ministerious Rohan force with every single named hero and you know a significant number of riders to back them up. Yep. Uh, that look that's exactly what I was thinking of when I was talking about this. So on my painting table is more riders of Rohan than I'll pretty much ever need because I want to do that. I want to do the charge of the Rohirrim with a significant number of Rohirrim, not Thaden's charge with, with five heroes and three friends. Like, I want to actually have the charge of the Rohirrim with all the heroes there. But that's that's another aside. Look, this army list, I think it's got potential. It's a 1,000. It costs a lot, but I've got two of the biggest heroes in the game and the ones that make, make good players cry the most. So that that's pretty handy. It's it's maybe not as strong as some of the other ones there. And 1,000 points is a somewhat a niche level. I guess um, there are groups that play it quite a bit, but... It's a fun level to play because you get all the heroes, and that's what I've got here. So mm-hmm. I think we might leave it there. We've been talking much longer than than I think, which I expected, which is the norm for the Green Dragon, of course. I hope we've got you excited about all Cav armies because I this are uh, this this episode probably more than some of the others recently, and and in in our our long history has got me excited to get out the painting table because a lot of these armies I don't have the models for at the moment because the sheer number of of cavalry models is not something I usually play at, but I'm I'm really keen to get them on the table and try it out and um we've seen what you've done with this andrew with with, with cavalry and you've just proven that it, it definitely works and it's something that that not only works it works well so thank you so much for coming on and do you want to just plug any sort of podcast or anything else before we head off uh yeah yeah thank you for having me this is a pleasure to be back i love to talk about this for hours this is great fun <laughs> some of the new south wales chaps we've started our own uh podcast at the moment it's got the tentative name of an unexpected party, but you know that's subject to change. So look out for us. We we might have more for you in the future. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed the first episode, the pilot one. I understand potential name changes because it's pretty similar to unexpected podcast, unexpected party. Yeah, I, I understand that, but there's been a huge increase in podcasts lately. I don't know if you noticed that, Kylie, but I'm I'm a bit of a podcast listener because that's that's what I do during my painting time. And there's so many people putting out so many good things. So you've got like the Canadians doing uh, the Duran show and and um, into the West. You've got people in the UK with with Stu and um, Dan and those guys with the Out of the Frying Pan. And we've got of course Harry doing the Entmoot. And we've got in Australia we've got now the two of us competing. 
Andrew's group, which uh, we'll do. And of course, I, I don't like to think of it as competing. I, I like to think of it more of as uh, collaborating. Oh, no, no. Everyone else is collaborating, but but uh, Andrew's group and ours, uh, we're competing. Got a big head start on us then. <laughs> That's right. That's the only one we might be able yeah, to win. Like, what, 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 what are we up to now? Like six, seven years of the, the no, Great Dragon? No, it's not that long. It's, it's, it's oh, about well, five. About five. Okay. I don't know. My, my, my sense of time's warped because we, we did, like, way back when, try and uh, get it started a little bit. We we did. Yeah. We had a. Do we still have that that footage? Uh, that no, I released recording? it in one of the episodes. There's there's actually the oh, look back, cool. the way back machine. So that was that was about that was probably around ten years ago, maybe just over it. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, let's let's wrap this episode up because I want to get some painting, some cav, and it's, it's already late enough. So thanks for listening, listeners. Uh, I think traps win games is usually what we say, but I think we might have to change that up this episode to something like the cavalry wins games or or a charge wins games or something. Charge, like that. charge, charge bonuses win games. Charge bonuses win games. Charge bonuses win, charge games. Charge win games. Charge is better. Let's do that. Andrew, can you lead us out with our our new catchphrase? Yep. Thank you all for listening, and remember, charges win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. The Green Dragon Podcast discusses tabletop wargaming using the Middle Earth strategy battle game rules for Games Workshop. We have no affiliation with Games Workshop, Warner Brothers, New Line, Tolkien Enterprise, or anyone else involved in Tolkien's universe. We're on our own. Thank you to our patrons for your support. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. You can contact us via our Facebook page at The Green Dragon Podcast or on our email, thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Not so sure about that plural. This podcast is for entertainment, so please take it that way. Farewell, listener. The road goes ever on and on.